Pocket Realm, a Mortal Realms short story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path to the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gates this episode are... I'm Davey, and I'm glad to be back on the Pocket Realm so we can keep the Mortal Realms spreading like a necrotic rash across the realms of podcasting. Gross. Uh, and I'm Aaron, and uh, if you approach come at the Arch Pustulant, you best not slip miss. Uh... Hey, I don't know. Normally in the other episode, other shows, I have a little blurb here, but I, I don't. I'm just going to say, hey, Davey, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? This blurb enough. Um, I'm doing just fine. The co- apparently, the coffee's still in my veins, and uh, we're, we're running wild here. Um, everybody, we're back doing the Pocket Realms. That's cool. We had to take a little break. Um, I guess I can blame it on COVID or because I was feeling lazy. I don't really have a good uh, answer for that. Well, we figured we'd get back in the saddle, the, the Pocket Realm saddle, and uh, try and talk about another short story. I feel like people aren't talking about short stories these days, um, and so we've got to carry that torch. Um, and today, we're going to talk about the short story called The Unlamented Archpustulant of Clan Morbidus. Is Archpustulant probably the way you say that word? That's how I'd say it, yeah. Arch, yeah, right? Archpustulant? I guess I, Archangel, Archpustulant. I, I spent away, yeah, but Archbishop though. So oh, yeah, I spent a little bit Googling this and I couldn't find a clear answer. Um, but this is a short story by uh, David Geimer, friend of the show, whether he likes it or not. Or knows um, it or not. Whether he knows it or not. Uh, but before we get there, let's take a minute, minute take a moment um, to just catch people up with what we've been up to. I think in the short stories phase, I phrase it as this. Uh, what was the last hobby you did, game you played, or book that you read that you wanted to talk about? Because they're supposed to be short. We're keeping it short. Yeah. Uh, I'll hit you with two. I've I, uh, been painting my chosen axes for Underworlds. They're almost done. Excited about that. They're sitting right here in front of me. Sure. And, uh, Top last- tier uh, Underworlds Warband. Oh, yeah, exactly. Defining the meta. Um, and then the last book I read that would be uh, relevant to this, uh, I read uh, uh, Station Eleven. It's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi thing, which I may introduce to our book club. I put it up as Ooh. a candidate when it's back around my turn to cool. uh, throw some out there. Which, who knows when that'll ever be. There's, sm- it's, there's so many quite a, people. Quite a while, yeah. That's all Big right. rotation. Uh, and my end, I'll do two then too. Um, one is I just read The End of Enlightenment by Richard Strauss. Strachan, Strachan, I'm not sure how to say it, but it's a Luminous Realm Lords novel. It's actually pretty good. Um, I really liked his um, Blood of the Everchosen novel, uh, so I was hyped to follow up with this one, and it, uh, I think it's just just as good. Um, uh, it, it was enlightening, right? It, it, I learned a lot about the Realm Lords through the lens of, of this year's story, and I recommend it. I, uh, I read Blood of the Everchosen at your recommendation, uh, not the most recent book I've read, but uh, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was cool. Yeah, I really like that one too. Um, I think I, maybe I prefer that one just slightly more, but uh, by no means does that detract from this end of enlightenment. And then as far as games I played, Davey, I had, we had some of the Mortal Realms crew, a couple of them, over to my deck to play the smaller of the Warhammer games um, under under the lights, like a professional baseball game anyways uh so um phil and pavent uh came over and they themselves played a real quick game of underworlds and then i took pavent on in a game of war cry a catacombs version one which i had never played he beat me but it was close it came down to uh the last dice roll and it was tons of fun and i think maybe we might start doing it possibly more regularly uh 
despite the fact that this last time it was actually pretty cold. I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but like at the end of April, it was still pretty chilly out there. But we persevered. Cool. Tons of fun. And maybe we'll get you, we'll get you out here sooner rather than later. We'd be glad to. Out here makes it sound like I live far away. No, I live in town. There's not. It's not out here. Um, all right, cool. Let's get that's done and over. Done and dusted. Uh, let us chat about uh, this book in this story phase. Uh, in the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. That feels right. <laughs> but you got to read the story blurb too, whether right. you like it or not. So in this case, Radigan. Uh, Radigan Borkris seeks to ascend to Archpustulant of Clan Morbidus, but first he must plot and scheme to remove rivals and position himself just right for the role. Uh, I mean, if he's going to plot and scheme, I feel like he's already got great qualifications for the position. <laughs> That's just Tuesday in, uh, in Skaven land. So. Uh, bare bones. Um, that's the, the top line. No no cover sheet necessary. Anyways, I haven't applied for a new job in forever. Uh, we're going to stick to spoiler-free. Not that anybody re- really cares. These are so short that in the time we just went through our intro, you could have already read the book. Um, but uh, just out of tradition, let's, let's stick to this uh, process. Um, first and foremost, I want to talk about why we're reading this book. I th- I don't know who, I forget who nominated it. We were talking about which book we want or story we wanted to read. Um, did you have any reasons why this jumped out at you as something we, we selected? Yeah, you sent uh, a screenshot of the uh, titles that were up there as, as decent candidates. There was probably 10 or 12 of them. And then uh, as soon as I saw the title of this, I'm like, I mean, it almost kind of has to be that one, right? You're yeah. Like, done. So. It's, self, it's self-selecting uh, with a title like that. Um, he knew what he was doing. Geimer was aware uh, of what, what he was uh, accomplishing there. Um, yep, I agree. Uh, again, it's the unlamented arch postulant of Clan Morbidus. That's a mouthful. Um, so, yeah, definitely very cool. Um, to add on to that, and I think, honestly, the name is enough, uh, but I feel like it's been a bit since we've gotten, I'll say, a pestilence perspective or maybe even a Skaven perspective. Um, at least for me, we've been reading a lot of like you know the different campaign books in, in the main um, story phase and, and a few other novels. And the Skaven have sort of continued to be um, more plot devices as opposed to like story drivers uh, these days. And even especially uh, from like a, a clan's Eshen perspective in that like if a main character or a main bad guy needs something dastardly done secretively, they'll call up clan Eshens and they'll get it done often to disastrous results. But um, I can't remember the last time I read something from a Skaven perspective or specifically a Pestilence perspective. Um, and so that seemed ripe for uh, revisiting. So yeah, I would say for me, the closest I would call to having read something from a Skaven perspective or some of the chapters from Hamilcar yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Or they, but uh, that wasn't particularly pestilence, and um, that was that was a while ago. They're they're few and far between, so it was kind of a yeah, yeah. cool reason to check this one out. Um, so I was thinking, I'm thinking they're due, and this uh, short story, I don't think disappoints. I think it, it it covered what I was looking for in a nice, tidy package. Um, so that's the why we're reading it. Do you have any other whys? Uh, no, uh, I think it's solid, and we know that we like uh, David Geimer stuff, so. Uh, it's a it's a safe safe spot to jump off from uh, with a return to some uh, some of this pocket realm content. Yeah, I don't I don't give out uh, the title friend of the show all willy nilly. Um, it's it's well earned. Um, so let's get a couple w, a couple more W questions. Um, we talk about when does this story take place? No idea. Don't I don't know, think it, don't care. Doesn't yeah, don't matter. particularly care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no uh, overarching 
plot or or not plot, but uh, tie-ins to anything that's going on. In fact, it's very self-contained within uh, its setting. So yeah, who knows? Unless something drastically changes to this game and in the future, I think the story can take place anytime, anywhere. Not anywhere. Nope. Specifically in a place. Uh, let's talk about that place. Where does the story take place, uh, Davey? As Blight City, uh, so the the sort of Skaven capital. Uh, and there were there's some cool reminders in here about how it sort of exists outside the realms. Like it's in this weird that the Skaven have this cool thing where they're they're sort of tunneling, you know, they're they're jam was tunneling in the world that was and now they like tunnel between the realms and so they end up in this weird like unspace or or whatever uh and you actually uh snagged the same quote i did here entropy was to the realm of ruin as heat was to akshi or darkness to ulgu i was like oh yeah because every time they talk about you know the city's just like rusting and falling apart and chaotic and pretty rad really yeah 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 and it's always it's always like failing but then growing at the same time which is pretty cool i don't know where we whether that's from the battle tome or some other story but like it seems it's, it's always crushing the layer below it and just continuously being built up 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 in a never-ending skyward yeah or whatever the sky is a trajectory like i guess it's yeah. probably underground too so i think um, it really feels like a, a nightmare city and the way like i i was unsettled a little bit by you know when you really stop to kind of think about it like it's kind of claustrophobic or or uh I don't know, just so uncontrolled feels, feels, uh, very scaveny. Yeah. Yeah. And the sort of place that like, how could you ever, there's, there's no scenario in which you would ever feel safe in this yeah. location. Uh, yeah. Which they're probably, I mean, they're used to that's part of the course for these guys. Um, speaking of, of these guys, uh, who are, who, who are we following? Who are we talking about? And I guess that kind of ties into the what as well as is to what the, the story is about, but, um, what sorts of characters are we, uh, following here i'll keep uh, asking you yeah uh i don't see anyone else here you're talking about um there was, <laughs> uh radigan borkris is who it opens upon and uh it it follows him as well as uh Macalit pus uh so i guess Macalit is a is a second in command so it, it feels like dang radigan and haskrible are kind of the three uh, lead competitors for for this uh, thing that they're they're uh, competing for. Nailed that sentence. No, perfect, flawless. <laughs> you've you've done this before, I can tell. Uh, yeah, so it's it's basically it's um, a fight for supremacy. It's a political intrigue kind of story uh, within yeah. the ranks of a uh, Skaven Pestilens. I guess clan, because they said that at the top, right? In Clan Morbus, that's in the title even. And so there's a vacancy, there's a power vacuum a little bit, and we walk through the process of how that power vacuum is filled and the ways that this gave uniquely fill it um, by uh, sort of following these, what you can imagine could have potentially been three very similar characters. And in a sense they are, but uh, the book does a good job of differentiating them and and maybe helping you choose which one you want to root for if you want to root for any of them really though i mean we're warhammer fans i'm sure there's something that we can uh, <laughs> identify with uh with 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 these characters but um it's an interesting motley crew that's for sure any other who's or what's or any w word waffles uh <laughs> wacky no I, I think we got it i think we've got it pretty covered here yeah, I think we did. All right, so let's jump into a full spoiler uh, conversation in the 
spoiler phase. Paul's not here to do it in his cool voice. Um, uh, we talked about the characters. We talked about, uh, or we mentioned Radigan, Borchris, uh, Hasgribble, Dank, Kruor. Um, as we were sort of alluding to, they're, they're vying for this archpustulant uh, position. Uh, I think the beginning of the book is we're initially introduced to Radigan and we get sort of what he's all about. Do you want to, you want to talk about him or do you want me to talk about him? You can talk about the next guy. Uh, so Radigan, he, he's already pretty powerful. Um, they all have these names that I'm like, I mean, that sounds important, but I have no sense of like how, you know, so he's the malfeasant superior of the church of gnawing ruin. Uh, and maybe somebody's heard of that before. I, I haven't. Uh, and it, it kind of talks about, he's, uh, uh, the spiritual overseer to a million unworthy souls, two score layers spread like a necrotic rash across the realms of metal and death. Uh, so he's he's wealthy, but he's he's not at the top of the ladder yet, right? Uh, but he's he's eyeing that, um, and it seems like it seems like what everyone's angling for, what he's angling for, is this this position, which will get him uh, closer to the council, the council of thirteen, or is it actually a seat on the council of thirteen with this? I think it's maybe just a, yet a, yet another step towards step it. Cause, yeah, yeah, because I think it's like a, a it's a position in the higher hierarchy of the clan itself. But I don't think it's necessarily the the leader right. of the clan right. is the gist I get. Um, yeah, just gets you closer to it. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and so he's already you know he's he's uh, intricately attired. Uh, he has lots of people preening over him and. He wants it. He, as he demonstrates uh, by shoving a slave out the window, he's, you know, some his his second in command is like, "Why would you want a position so exposed?" It's because I could do this. Shoves scaven out the window to anyone at any time. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there you go. Uh, big big highlight of the story for me. Um, it kind of draws. Well, I'll tell you what. He's very much the um. He's he's the righteous gemstones uh, version of that's how I'll phrase it uh, of this um scaven religion that they've got uh, going on here. So they call it. So they're they're followers of the withered word, which is whether or not it's their specific brand of like pestilence followership of the 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 corrupter aspect of the um great horned rat, or maybe it's universally uh, what the pe- pestilence groups call it. I can't remember. Remember, and I don't remember picking it up in the battle tone but it's um you get a sense that a lot of these different sort of leadership positions have their own brand or their own um like sects of this uh religion and um radican's cool because like i think later on in the book they talk about like how he, he he has his own um interpretation and he sort of bends some of the rules uh in terms of uh how he how he follows it one one example of just how uh you know, besides his apparent wealth and his cool spot, his, he's got at the top of a tower. Uh, he's pretty blessed by the corruptor because one of the slaves who's getting him dressed accidentally nicks one of his uh, boils and then barfs himself to death, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> ooh, geez, so, yeah. Uh, um, gnarly. And it- and this is first Gavin, who presumably has been exposed to all sorts of gnarly stuff to begin <laughs> with. Like, like yeah. even for him, it just drops him, uh, drops him dead. Uh, there's. Well, and, and and I'll just mention he's got a he's got an underling, an under deacon of the presbyotic wilt, who is this this maculate pus, um, who was sort of you know tending to him amongst all these other Skaven uh, slaves. Um, we don't get a lot of personality out of him quite yet, but I think he, he develops as the story goes. Um, there's another, um, I think they're I think they're priests, like pestilence priests, Skaven priests, uh, named Hasscribble, 
And so he goes with the title of the first claw broken of the scratching ruin, I think is his title, or at the very least, he's like the lead of the scratching ruin. Um, and he's got a fun little backstory. They talk through it, whether it's here or later that, um, he's, he's busy, um, I want to say ranting or, or raving, but he's getting a fire and brimstone, um, he's preaching to like this congregation of, of Skaven in, in, in front of him, um, because he's so incredibly fanatic and devout, uh, a follower to the, um, corrupter aspect of the, of the great horned rat. Um, he's a blind, um, seer of some sort, uh, but he didn't start off in the ranks of the Skaven Pestilence hierarchy, but rather he was born a slave and in some sort of dark and horrible forced labor camp. Um, <clears throat> he became more and more fanatic and like devout and uh, won over more and more folks to his cause. And he was able to sort of rise through the ranks and um, and grow his own, what's the underground like movement um, so that he gained more and more power to, and reached the sort of upper echelons of the leadership of the scratching ruin. Um, but he's blind, but he doesn't let that stop him um, to, you know, get what he wants and, and uh, reach for power. Uh, he, claims that uh he doesn't care for the position sort of personally like it's not as important to him just that he's only pursuing it because that's that's what uh the great horn rat wants and so far be it from him for him to uh sort of deny the calling so he's like i i, I do i gotta do what i gotta do um and so that's why he's interested in in the uh in the position yeah he was he was pretty cool that the idea of like being able to go from slave all the way to a position of power is is pretty pretty something else i mean you talk about like one in a million and it may be even less than that. Right. Just yeah, right? sheer numbers of, of Skaven that live and die. Mm -hmm. And it's not even because he particularly is a, uh, he's not a deadly, I mean, he ends up being a de deadly character. It's through like fervor and like winning people to his cause that like he was able to ascend the, the ranks, so to speak. Um, so, I think the, the book kind of, or the story kind of starts with these two characters. Uh, we get in a little bit of their backstory through, you know, internal monologues and their conversations with their, their underlings. And they talk about how there's going to be this vote for the arch postulant uh, position, um, which is weird. You wouldn't expect Skaven to, like, to be big on democracy, but um, they uh, are sort of uh, counting their votes and trying to like scheme even ahead of time, just to make sure that they've got as much, um, clout on their side and, and have bought as many votes as is necessary but uh it quickly leads into the process of the of the voting which is i guess relatively interesting though at the same time a little mundane yeah. um what, what did you think of that process uh so there was uh there was the uh sort of lobbying ahead of time where they're kind of counting up how many votes they expected to have uh and then everyone comes up and uh, drops them in. I, I think the same, same deal. I was like, Oh, well, yeah. Like mundane, I think is a good, good word for it. Like, Fair enough. But, uh, they have all these different rules, you know, like you're not supposed to fight in here. Or you're not supposed to, you know, draw blades or kill each other, but like, it's not really stabbing somebody. If you just happen to have your knife out and they run into it, you know, like there's <laughs> the usual, like Skaven get around the rules sort of things. Uh, but there's some, there's some pretty beefy enforcers here that, uh, when things get out of hand, they, uh, can try and clamp down on it. Um, yeah. but there's some important people who aren't here right now. Uh, Ooh, that's right? true. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think maybe you're probably talking about, is it, is it dang? It's not, I don't know how to say that. It's like, isn't that is a, a fever? Dang is a type of fever. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that's what it's dengue. 
Oh, maybe it's Dengue. Anyways, uh, Kruor. I'm going to not use his first name any, anymore because uh, he's also known as the Verminable Kruor. Uh, and so he's a master of alchemy and pox magic. And it's notable, notable that he's not here at, at this vote that they're holding, right? So it's all these leaders of their different like uh, sects um, are, are casting their votes for this new position. But this this uh, Verminable, Verminable Kruor isn't there. And then also um, we're missing a... Uh, another individual i think his name i think it's drastic i already forget who it is um but so there's two two folks missing from the 21 uh leaders of of their uh congregations which i thought was odd why i mean right why would there not be 13 you that seems like it's a weird number to use here but there's 21 um the scene cuts over to what uh the vermidable crewer is up to uh he's just hanging out in his lab him and his best bud uh the other missing um leader of the the congregations and he's performing mad experiments on them and so the the uh the guy the again i think it's is it drastic must be drastic uh the guy strapped to the table is is first cursing him out and threatening him and then he realizes that's not working um so then he has to beg hey just let me go i'll give you anything you want but that's not enough um and uh one of the better scenes in the in the story uh crew or gets closer and closer with some um you know clippers or something like that and you think he's going to do something terrible to uh the rat strapped to his table but he doesn't he just clips off a whisker and we all the rat breathes out a sigh of relief i breathe out a sigh of relief everybody breathes out a sigh of relief and you think oh it's not that bad he has the whisker do a little concoction he adds a bunch of other esoteric uh ingredients and it seems like uh, everything's going to end up okay um, but then he's sort of reading off the recipe and it turns out that he needed this whisper whisker 13 breaths before the death of its owner. And then he turns around and slices the dude's throat uh, and kills him right then on the table. Um, which that was a creative, like that, that was new. I didn't expect well, that. Like that was my, my favorite follow-up to this was that, uh, you know, so he, he gets it and he's like, uh, turns over like he's, he's mixing the brew and he looks at Dressick who's like choking out his last and he frowns. He's like staring at him, waiting for him, and pounds him on the chest one over time. So he's like, <laughs> like he's like exactly thirteen breaths. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just such a scaven science moment. Like, hey, you know, if you if you got to cheat the science, you got to cheat the science. It's fine. Yeah, it's a it, it's a science is an exact man. It's a it's more of an art than it is a, a science. Um, and that was great. And so you you see why he's missing his rights because he's performing this experiment. He has an underling too. His name Gagrick. He says, hey, hey leader master uh we we got that vote right now he's like no i don't think so and he's like no it's right now and he's like well honestly they're gonna just hold a revote anyway so i or a recount anyway so i don't really need to be there now it's more important that i'm there later so uh, i've got more important matters and it's this uh experiment that he's or this this concoction that he's he's brewing and so we're left with uh wondering what what he what he's up to and then in order to shift the scene back he casts some uh, uh, also pretty interesting spell where he chews up a worm spits into a into a plate or something rubs a little rune into it and then he uses that liquid as sort of a magic seeing yeah uh, this spy camera gross as well it's like this this worm is from a hatching of other worms and those other worms are like burrowed into another rat's eyes or something like that so that's so he's seeing through this other rat's eye there's some or it, it, it involved like getting parasitic worms into somebody else and then chewing up other ones and it was suitably gross very gross. He even says, like, uh, 
the the process to insert the worm into somebody else's head is incredibly incredibly painful so painful that the dude I stuck it in must have completely forgotten it like that's how it, it literally wiped his memory out of it of the process um which is how he then can sort of see the goings on uh back in the assembly hall where uh the votes being held and so um the counts being done there's this uh sexton general who's sort of a neutral skaven or as neutral as a skaven can be though pause and think I, I saw no evidence of this skaven not being neutral the sexton general this crassus he seemed actually to be on the up and up as far as skaven go um and so he's counting out the votes and so it turns out that uh radigan although has the majority of the votes he doesn't have a i guess this word quorum does that fit to what we're doing here yeah, I think he has a plurality, not a majority, if you were going to do it. so Sure, that works. Um, to, obviously, Radigan's uh, chagrin. Um, Haskribble has a couple of votes to himself as well. And then there's this, uh, th- and then Kruor got votes, even though he's not even present. And then um, finally, uh, there's a, another sca- another leader who we really hadn't been introduced to yet, this Salvic Rakitich, and I think you have to. I think you have to draw out that R. I think that's important. Um, <laughs> yeah, who hangs out uh, in Akshi, which sort of colors his appearance. He's a little um, rusty, and he's got like a flaming sensor around his neck. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, they don't come to a decision because not no individual got enough votes. And Haskribble calls out, "We need to do a recount, like everybody predicted." And in fact, I think someone earlier in the book predicted he specifically was going to be the one who needed to do a recount or who, who wanted, who would want a recount. Yeah. There's uh, a good reaction to him demanding uh, a recount, uh, where it says, uh, the priest groaned the only collective action the Lyceum would ever knowingly undertake. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That's good. Um, yep. And so they agree and they dissemble momentarily before they are, you know, plan to circle back up and, and, and hold a, a, a recount. Um, and so the scene, scene breaks there uh david what what happens next walk me through it uh so they're going back to kind of um uh they are going to re sort of uh regain their composure get ready like kind of uh try to collect up uh some more votes or you know do it do whatever they do so that it's not the the tie again right and uh they end up uh breaking out into some conflict here some of their uh what skaven yeah. um and so you have uh the the numbers on the side of uh uh with the more elites on the side of uh borkris and then uh the uh sextants i guess uh come in these kind of big i couldn't figure out what they were supposed to be they seem like real big muscular um sort of like if uh pestilence had their own uh storm vermin or something like that coming to break that up as well uh basically an, an all-out brawl going on yeah so it's it's basically it's this is they're trying to whip up votes any way they know how and by that i mean like beating each other up and so like yeah. borkus's forces go after the the actually forces to try and convince them hey to win them over but then they're they're flanked behind them by hasgribble's forces who come up out of nowhere start smashing things up with a, a sensor bear um everyone's at each other's throats they think if any one of them can kill any of the other leaders they'll be able to steal their votes and that'll give them the leg up in the uh in the in the vote that's about to come so it's a wild free-for-all brawl um yeah. and 
I think, unfortunately, the Akshi guy gets dropped. After he stabs one of our guys in the back, he then um, is... Uh, I think he like gets a uh, gets a burning dagger into the uh, lungs of Borkris, uh, and he's like, "Ah, oh, lame! This is like burning away some of my infections. Like, I need those to live." Like, he's he's now in like a symbiotic relationship with his own infections at this point. So, yeah, uh, Borkris is able to turn to turn himself around, and he breaks his jaw and distends it, and he str- oh, shoots yeah. out a stream of like acid on him. Is what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was gnarly. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of these given like they end up pulling. They're not just physical beings they have they have some power behind them they have some you know tricks up their sleeve whether it's a blade literally in their sleeve or uh you know the classic distend your jaw and shoot acid out of your mouth and cl- yeah. classic move uh, everybody knows that one you gotta be prepared for that um but it's after this scuffle that they're able to reconvene in the they call them the lyceum they're the light the lyceum is the place yeah lyceum of the lectors um and they're about to hold the vote while everyone is just you know uh, have seen, they've all seen better days, right? I, this what, apparently wasn't even the only scuffle. Apparently, there, there were scuffles all throughout the the, the clan, uh, and they are all bedraggled and uh, in rough shape as they're awaiting um, this vote to be recounted. However, there's only one. There's one individual who isn't uh, in rough shape. He, apparently, he's he's actually very chipper. Uh, who's that? As uh, our our man, the Cruor. Uh yeah, uh, the verminable Cruor comes uh, strolling in just like he planned it. Uh, he is arriving right on right on time, uh, fashionably late, and he's he's ready to uh, get this to happen. Um, and he seems very confident. That's because he's got his own little plan here, um, and uh, he has exposed everybody to a super awful plague, or has he? Uh, so there's there's all this. Uh, it, it felt very, uh, princess bride was the, uh, um, you know, like, uh, if I, I think that you think that I know that you would knowingly place the poison in front of you anyway. So he fell for one of the classic blunders. Yeah, exactly. So he's got, uh, he's, he's basically, uh, planning to just hold the whole Lyceum hostage, say, Hey, you got to vote for me. Uh, I know you will, because if you don't, then you're going to die from this thing and I can, I'm the one who can turn it around. Uh, Borkris is like, nah, like this, this old guy's bluffing. <laughs> he takes his head off, which I was maybe the most surprised I've been. I was like, oh, I thought Kroor was going to be the dude. Um, and then he's like, everyone's kind of startled, shocked. And uh, Borkris is like, all right, you know, we got that sorted out. Now let's, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> oh no, like starts coughing. He's like, wait, I was wrong. Uh, and it turned out that, uh, Groar really had released this poison in there. And so the whole Lyceum starts gagging and choking and, and, uh, um, it's a big, big gross fest in there. Yeah. Everyone's shocked, mad, and then dead in that order. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, it turns out no, but well, not nobody wins. In fact, we specifically find that no, not nobody wins, but, uh, all, all the nominees, dropped dead all of the the sexton and all his followers dropped dead uh and we then shift perspectives from the underlings who are all sort of not allowed in the voting chamber uh standing standing outside the door like what they stopped talking we can't hear anything what's going on what happened to them and then they start jostling each other to be the one to have to go in and poke their nose in to see what happened they're like what? we're not allowed it's against the rules and we're like well you do it no you do it no you do it and so our dude um who's got a name 
uh, Macalic Macalit Puss, who was the underdeacon to uh, Radigan Borkus, uh, he regrets that he was maybe one of the closer ones to the door, and he gets shoved in and chosen as the one who has to poke his nose. And he opens it, opens a door that should be locked, but it turns out the people who in uh, the rats in the side who were trying to flee for their lives unlocked it. Uh, they fall fall down. He pokes his nose in, sees everybody dead, and whether or not he smells something, it doesn't matter because he knows when you open you open a door and you see that many dead scaven, you close that door. Um, <laughs> And uh, he slams it shut, you know, rubs his face to get whatever it was out of his nose. I uh, believe the what? term he uses here is the diarrheal stench. Mm, yeah. I've seen diarrheal used as a uh, adjective. <laughs> and it, it's, it's rare that it's used even like in a Warhammer book. I feel like that specific word. Anyways, um, and so then they say, well, they look around. They say, what do we do now? And... Uh, uh, someone shouts out uh, from from the crowd. Well, I nominate um, Alicut Puss as the, the new Archpostulant of Clan Morbidus. And it's funny because it comes back around because earlier in the story he was asking questions like, "Why would you ever choose this very exposed position?" So it became clear yeah. that this is not something he ever dreamed of or ever wanted. Yeah. Um, which is also full circle because it, throughout the story you get the impression that the previous Archpostulant also didn't necessarily want the job. And so again, it, it seems like this position is. For as much as people are vying for it, it's just as likely it's going to get thrust on somebody who doesn't want it in the first place. Right, um, exactly. Which I, w- I also would not want it. I would find the deepest, darkest hole and hide in it. <laughs> um, so that is the story. And what a story it is. Uh, right on. Um, do you have any other thoughts or th- tidbits that you want to tease out that we hadn't we hadn't touched on uh, throughout it? Where are the notes? Uh, there they are. No, only, you know, when we're, if we're going to do some, uh, overview stuff, but there wasn't any, any, uh, more, I think we kind of touched on the specific notes that I marked. Um, I, I just, there were a lot of little turns of phrase that were enjoyed, like the, we already talked about the exactly 13 breaths and, um, all, all that sort of thing. Um, it, it yeah, it, there were just a lot of sort of fun throwaway lines throughout it, which, which made it, uh, steadily, steadily enjoyable, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I think it was classically and quintessentially a Skaven story. Um, it was a lot of what we were used to. And in a sense, a lot of being surprised, which we're also used to, which is kind of an oxymoron when dealing with Skaven, in that like you expect to be surprised when you're uh, reading stories about them, which was uh, tons of fun. Um, I think one of the coolest parts of the book related to turns of phrases were the delightful titles that uh, a lot of these folks had. I just want to rattle them off real quick, which are really neat. I really get the sense that these are self-styled or self-created uh, uh, titles. Um, yeah. My wife's company for a longest time, like, you could just come up with your own title and you can put it on a business card. So <laughs> it's very, she doesn't realize, but it's very similar to Skaven. Um, <laughs> so uh, Radigan Borkus was, was the malfeasant superior of the Church of the Gnawing Ruin. Very, uh, that's also a mouthful. Uh, his, his under... Underling Malachipus was the underdeacon of the Presbiotic Wilt. Uh, Hascribble, like we said, was the first claw broken of the Scratching Ruin. And uh, Dang, Dangi Kruar was the bilious sage of the Extirpated Way. Don't know what that means. And then there are other delightful ones like the Most High Supreme Matriarch of the Carrion Blights, the Pox Abbot of the Gurish Spreading, uh, Lord Brewer of the Shriveling Pox, the Prost Warden of the Excremental Feast. That's particularly gross. Uh, <laughs> and the, uh, there's the Bile Master of the Church of the Scales of Pungence. And finally, the Praetor of the Foulsome Crucible. And that's only some of them. There's apparently 21 titles out there that we didn't get all of them. Uh, but 
listeners, I asked you to pick your favorite. I got the sense that uh, uh, Geimer really uh, had a fun time coming up with these. Um, so I think I think Geimer's at his best when he's having fun, right? Like his best stories are when he's you can tell that he's chuckling to himself because hey, guess what? I'm chuckling too. Yeah. Uh, so that was delightful. Um, I also want to talk about the horn rat, but I think that'll be something I bring up or learn something about the mortal worms that I didn't know. Um, other fun things was that, that spy camera was pretty neat with the worms, but pretty gross. And we talked about that. Uh, but I think other than that, we covered a lot of the cool stuff in the story. So I'm going to ask some standard questions. If you're ready for them, the best, the fan favorite, or at least my favorite, uh, Davey, who is your dude in this here tale? So Rat tale. Uh, I like to, I like to pick someone where, um, maybe I just like them. Maybe I think they're cool. But often I like to pick someone where I can like kind of see myself in there, which is a challenging thing to do when you're uh, talking about pestilence. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, but for me, it was uh, Gagric. Oh, okay. Uh, specifically for the moment where, because uh, I this happens in my family all the time, where you know he's he's talking to the uh, to Kror. He's like, "Hey, uh, shouldn't we uh, shouldn't we get going? Like, aren't we?" don't want to make you mad, but aren't we all already late? Uh, and I was like, man, I've been there uh, <laughs> trying to get the family out the door. And then he's actually the one right at the end who is like, hey, I nominate uh, Macalit. I was like, yeah, quick on your feet, man. Make yeah, you got to be. <laughs> um, it's a survival of the fittest. And in this case, fittest is thinking qu quickly and surviving. Um, yeah, I like that tiered where you know all the first in commands were – uh, brawling over who is going to go up the level and all the second in commands were clearly in the right spots for themselves because they were like, uh, not me, not me, you know, finger on yeah. the nose, you know, <laughs> nose goes. I'm just going to say, you beat me to it. Um, uh, along those same lines, uh, I didn't think about Gagrid. He's definitely, uh, up there, but similarly, I think my dude was, uh, my gender neutral dude was, um, Mac, Macalit Puss, the under deacon in that, uh, you know, reflecting on myself. Oftentimes I get nominated for stuff that I do not want to do. And I just didn't get a chance to, I just wasn't thinking on the feet um, quick enough to get out of it. God, this, man, I just wish I could get out of stuff. Um, and so uh, I, I've often, I mean, I often think to myself, like who would ever want that middle management position? Like that sounds awful. Like, again, it's very in real life, very exposed. Um, <laughs> and so I, I can identify with all his, uh, his perspectives or, or, or thoughts on things. And then when I'm, I, when his shoulders slumped, my shoulders slumped at the end when I realized that, oh, God, he's going to have to be the one to do it. Uh, bummer. Um, let's put a pin in that because I want to I want to circle back on that thought in a moment. Um, but more uh, more questions. Um, what did we learn about the mortal realms that we didn't know before? Did you learn anything about the mortal realms that you didn't know of before? Uh, some of it was uh, sort of a reminder of stuff I haven't seen in a while. We're talking about Blight City. I really find that interesting, the the uh realm outside the realms idea um how that kind of fits in um it's a good aosification of where of the role they played in the world that was uh but then also kind of their relationship with uh the great horned rat and the corruptor uh it was clearly at times they were you know attributing their own sort of whatever their own desire i'm, I'm going to do what i want to do uh, and then either saying that's what the horned rant would want anyway, or, uh, you know, like there, there'd be this sort of justification after the fact where like, um, oh, like, oh, what was it that, uh, when, uh, Haskribble is like getting into the fight, but he's, he's at the back and like all his guys are getting killed and 
you know, he's really fired up, but man, his knees are real bad and makes it hard for him to like, Ooh. And he's like, uh, you know, I, I got blessed with these bad knees so that I, you know, didn't end up in that first wave. It was, it was just, uh, uh, a lot of that, but they, you know, they, they talk about, um, it's a back and forth between self-justification, uh, for things or, you know, giving themselves an excuse, but also like, that's just kind of what the, the, uh, corruptor wants and talking about the corruptor as an aspect of the horned rat, uh, and how like other aspects of the horned rat, uh, might be jealous of the corruptor, um, so the, the word is poison and lies for the lesser pieces of the horned rat are jealous of the corrupter. And so he plants seeds, lots, many falsehoods in the minds of his faithful. So, uh, that was, I, I like that idea of kind of the, it feels very scaveny if their, if their deity is, uh, kind of got multiple personality disorder, uh, up there. So, yeah, I mean, kind of like Nagash in that regard. And, uh, just, it, this is one of the few examples of like, uh, a mortal's interaction with their deity where like we, we don't often see the deity walking around like on, you know, on two feet, like in the world. Right. So there's not a lot of opportunity for mortals to like interpret what their God wants, because it's hard to interpret when he's, you know, they're looking you in the face and say, do this, this or this. Uh, And so it's, I think it's rare, right. To not, or to introduce your own interpretations as to what your God wants, because he's not present. Like, I mean, or not regularly anyways, Um, they would maybe debate that. And I, I wonder if uh, you'd see, I think you sometimes see a little bit more of that in, you know, because a lot of times like we're seeing, you know, the obvious example is Sigmar or, or some such and, and Sigmar interacting with his uh, Eternals, uh, the Stormcast, uh, who do have this direct line to him, um, to, to Sigmar. But I think in like the more remote, um, I'm reading... Uh, I'm reading uh, Dark Harvest now, and there, it's mm. clear like there's there's people who are far enough separated from Sigmar where they're having to like kind of read between the lines a little bit. Um, I think that the Skaven just have that almost at a baseline though, which is which is pretty cool. But I had that yeah, same that's true. like they they had uh, uh, their relationship with their uh, deity is a lot a uh, lot less direct, a lot mm-hmm. more, like you said, in interpret, read, cast the bones and read them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Borkus Preened, the corruptor, bared his throat to him this day. I thought that was cool. Like, I don't know. What does that mean? Um, uh, I had learned that Skaven are into art, or at least some of them are. So in this big uh, vestibule where they're casting the boats up in the ceiling, there's a big, I guess, like a fresco uh, made from the blood or like the body fluids of the artist that his followers uh, then painted a picture of all the other gods of like order being cast down and the um, the horned rat sort of becoming ascendant. Um, I, this might be the first time that Skaven and art have ever been, uh, joined. I'm not sure. It's the first one for me. Uh, but I learned, I learned that about them. I'd love that they attributed it was the masterpiece of the visionary glotto. And you're like, Oh, Oh, Skaven art. Like, but he didn't actually paint. It's just his, (laughs) it's his inner, inner fluids that were like used to, uh, to finish it off. It's like gnarly. So yeah. Gross. Um, those are the standard questions. Do you have any other questions before I do other book recommendations? Oh, I think that was solid. Okay. Uh, did, wait, did we? Did you? No, you brought up Hamilcar before. We didn't talk about Skaven Pestilence, right? Because I think that's the only other true book that I can think of that really touches on uh, this subfaction of Skaven. And that's by mm-hmm. Josh Reynolds. Kind of mangled the intro, the segue there, but um, yeah. So that's one uh, recommendation that if folks can't get enough of their scabby, uh, pussy, 
Ratman uh, go there next. Um, it's, but then it's fun because they're uh, hanging out on the uh, the moving city, like the worm worm city. Oh, Shu Shugal or what have you? I never actually read it, but I know about it. Yeah. Um, and then this is the thing I was putting a pin in. There's a sequel, Davy. Did you know to this story? No, this is amazing. Yeah, it just came out in the most recent uh, Inferno, Inferno Six. This this story actually started out, I think, as an Inferno one, but then they released it as a just by itself. Um, but the the sequel is the nefarious antipustulant of Clan Morbidus by David Geimer. Uh, currently in Inferno, I think it's six. Oh God, I hope I'm not wrong. I have to look because this is going to be. I, I did look. It is Inferno Six uh, because when I saw this in your notes, I was like no way this has got to be a joke like uh, and then I, I looked at it for a little while longer I'm like I bet you this really is something and I, I uh, it turns out when you uh, uh, google nefarious anti-pustulant there's not a lot of hits <laughs> <laughs> um, and if I I didn't I, so I haven't read it yet I intentionally didn't read it until after we did this story because I didn't want to ruin anything for myself or you um, or the listeners but I think it does follow Mac Mac well god what's his name Macklemore you know <laughs> Uh, Macalit pus. Mm -hmm. I gotta double check, right? Does it? Yeah, I think it does. Um, so I can't, I might hang up this call and then go proceed to read it immediately. Um, <laughs> so dear listeners, let's read this together. Mm, can you give me a review? What'd you think about the story as a whole? It sounds like we're speaking highly of it, but prove it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was delightful. Uh, it was, uh, so not my, not my faction that I say like, this is what I want to, um, know more about. Uh, but it was, it was just right, just right. That, uh, sort of, uh, short story hit for me. So I'll go, uh, 17 out of 21 scratch boats. Oh, I didn't think about the, I didn't <laughs> think about the score. Oh, that's the one thing I didn't prep for. Um, uh, okay. But yeah, I, there were, there was fun turns of phrase. There was, uh, some enjoyable twists and I learned a little bit about, uh, one of the, one of the factions in the game. I, I like the game. Yeah. I like. Right on. Um, I, I echo a lot of what you said. Um, since it's been like over a year since we did one of these, I feel comfortable in using the age-old trope of, I think Age of Sigmar fiction is at its best when it's in short story form. That's normally Davy go-to, but I agree with it. Um, in that this was it, this was perfectly paced, I think. Did not overstay its welcome. Um, it it was a roller coaster ride in its condensed uh, uh, state. Um, we got a lot of inter like interesting characters that we didn't have to like belabor any of their character points. Like they, they had the things that they did and that they did well and um, they stood out. Uh, and so I, I enjoyed following their um, machinations towards the throne or crown or whatever the term is for the arch pestilency. Um, so I did enjoy it. It was funny. Dave and Ge David Geimer books often are, if not even, maybe even, always are eh, maybe um and so because of that i i do recommend it and I, the fact that there's a sequel also just guarantees that i was gonna read it because man do i love my continuity yeah uh, can't get enough of that so i think it was awesome P probably one of the better short stories that we've read on yeah. these here short or on these here pocket casts or pocket realms you're gonna get right um unless there's any final thoughts we can wrap it up i think we do it all right let's do it uh it's time for our reforging. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Davey, where can they find you online? 
I'm at red underscore Zeke on Twitter. Uh, and then you can always uh, find us in the What the Hex podcast. Nice. Uh, I'm Aaron. You can find me at Dos Asos on Twitter. And obviously, if you're listening to this, you're definitely listening to the story face as well. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.mortalrealms.com. And come chat with us on our Discord because there's a lot of cool people there. Uh, cool <laughs> people? <laughs> a lot? Uh, agreed. The end. Cool, that wasn't that bad. Good stuff. <laughs> Which is what you want to hear after you just did yeah. that. That wasn't that bad. That wasn't that bad. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Pocket Realms is back. I'll make this quick. We're doing well. We're hoping you're doing well, too. Uh, Pocket Realms, for those of you who don't know, are many story phases that Davey and I do on AOS short stories for our free guild Patreon subscribers. They're super cool. And eventually we get enough of them saved up that I package a few into a larger episode, which is this, and release it to all Mortal Realms followers, which is you. But that's just uh, when I get around to it. If, however, you do not want to wait for me to get around to it, I suggest you head on over to themortalrealms.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash themortalrealms. Join at the free guild level, and then you can listen to the episodes as soon as I churn them out. And I do mean churn because they're smooth like butter. In fact, there's a new one out there right now, Skull Throne by Jake Osga. Go check it out. Um, All right, but that's all I got. Enjoy the rest of these here pocket realms. See ya. Welcome to the Pocket Realms, a Moral Realms short story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gates this episode are... I'm Davey, and after reading this story, I thought it'd be good to talk about imposter syndrome, but I just don't think I'm cut out for it. And, uh, and I'm Aaron, and where is your elf tonight? I hope he is a Lumineth. Uh, and today... We're going to talk about The Spears of Autumn by Richard, I don't ever know how to say his last name, Strachan? Strachan? Strachan. Strachan. Which is odd because I listened to an interview with him not too long ago, and I'm like, oh, that's how he says says it. I'm going to remember that. And I did, and I never will. Um, But we'll get to that in a minute. In the meantime, hey, Davey, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I um, have been productive already. We're recording in the morning, and I've already got uh, dinner cooked. It's... Uh, simmering away uh, and so it's just free time from here on out do nice. whatever I will and what I will is record audio <laughs> you and me both uh, excellent and awesome I am dandy as well and at, at least for this at the moment of recording I am well well rested um, mm-hmm. which is a rarity these days uh, but don't worry the audience I'm, I'm putting the coffee in me right now you get ready for the the, the full Aaron effect any any minute now I can feel it coming um, before we jump into our little our story phase our little story phase I can call it that that's not diminutive um, mm, let's, I mean it's let's literally ch- diminutive but <laughs> well it's different strokes for different folks um, let's let's check in it's been a while uh, since we've chatted with each other at least you and I have chatted um, what what have you been up to what's what's some hobby you've done or games you've played or books that you've read. Well, hobby-wise, we got our review copy of Harrow Deep, so uh, I assembled uh, the Cruel Boys out of there. Uh, the boss of that warband is insane. Uh, he goes together with a cage over his head. I was going to ask, well, yeah. I want to finish assembling this because I like to spray prime, but there's no way I can reach through his cage and paint his face, so 
I'm, uh, I've been pondering exactly how to go about doing that piece. Uh, is it in such a way that, cause they're all easy, they're like push to fit. Is there a way you can push to fit it then unpush to fit it? Uh, you found my, my, uh, potential solution here. I, gotcha. It's a little tricky cause there's a, the pieces are delicate enough that, mm-hmm. that you have to be, you have to be gentle when pushing to fit, so to speak. Hobby, hobby master Aaron finds all yeah. the, the <laughs> sweet tricks. Uh, Reading wise, uh, we're doing the Goblin Emperor for our uh, book club, which is uh, challenging from a <laughs> glossary perspective. Lots. It is of- real tricky. I know all words are made up, eh, as per Thor, but uh, that uh, it's a it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a lot of work. I was going to say, um, and then uh, I'm reading. I I, uh, I really like Michael Chabon uh, and reading one of his short story collections called uh, A Model World. And it- appropriate because you're in your model room you were just telling me uh, yeah yeah how one apt day, one day it'll be a world it's a world to me <laughs> uh what neat uh let's think um so what am i working on uh, slow i mean i haven't it's it's hard to hobby when you have a, a baby strap to you um mm. but when i get a chance i've been assembling my nurgle stuff that's a little bit of a change of pace um i got it's been a while so i feel like i've gotten through a, a fair bit of it now we're doing the 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 vegetables of the meal, which is to say I have to put the plate bears together and I'm not super stoked about that, but, uh, we'll get, knock that out of the way. We'll do some plague drones and I think I'll have all my Nurgle stuff assembled, which will, which will be nice. Um, I haven't really played any games, but as far as, as far as books go, uh, like you said, reading the goblin, what was it? I already figured it was called goblin King. Um, Emperor. Emperor, goblin emperor. That, I shouldn't, shouldn't, uh, sell him short. And, I uh, reading the Stormcast Battle Tome because we're going to do an episode on that in just a matter of days. Uh, so for you listeners, that you can you can try and place this episode when we recorded it uh, in the midst of other ones. Um, your, thank you, by the uh, way. Oh, big bulletin board of uh, with red string and mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and my shots, you know. hair all askew. Uh, I'll, I'll, now's a great time to bring up. Hey, Davey, thanks for doing the uh, uh, with the rest of the team for doing the orc. Warclans battle tome. Now it's yeah. now it's uh, recorded. Now there's an official evidence of me thanking you. Sure, uh, appreciate it. I just fin- I just finished listening to it uh, the other day. So get this. I'm not going to read it. Uh, I listened to the episode. I'm all Everything. caught up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been fun to be on that side of things after uh, uh, you know seeing seeing both sides of it, having been on there um, recording all of them and then listening to them and then coming back to recording some of them. So yeah, it gives you gives you that perspective of both sides of it. So uh, and I'm. Paul, I'm just kidding when I'm saying when I say this. This is just a joke. But then, like to hear some of Paul's theories and not be able to like respond in any way. And uh, what are what are you talking about now? Uh, just, just begging one of the other hosts to be like, "Come on, like stop, somebody stop that man." Yeah. <laughs> Please. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, JK, JK, TM, TM. Um, all right. I think that's we're all caught up. Everybody's got a glimpse into our lives. This, mm-hmm terrible thing terrible existence that we call our lives um let's jump into uh the little story phase yeah uh the story phase in the story phase we delve into the stories characters creatures and environments of the nine realms this is normally where i would put in a little blurb about or that i steal from the website except this story the spears of autumn Mm. uh is actually taken from the thunderstrike and other stories I don't know, compilation or whatever you want to call those things. And because of that, it doesn't have a little blurb. So you guys are going to go in, go in blind. Just kidding. We're going to catch you. We're going to catch you all up. (laughs) 
But yeah, let's, as I just mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Spears of Onan by R- Richard Strahan, um, uh, which I am becoming a huge fan of this guy, um, this author. I'm really liking a lot of the things that he's uh, written up. He did the War Cry, Catacombs, Blood of the Ever Chosen, something of the Ever Chosen. Um, but that was really good. Uh, and a few others that I think will pepper in uh, to this. Actually, he also wrote the, the titular uh, Thunderstrike story for this compilation. In fact, so it's a little novella at the top. And that was also really good. So I also highly recommend that one. But that is not what we're talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about the Spears of Autumn. So let's do our spoiler-free section as we always do. And first question, I guess it counts as a W question because it, it's why. But why are we reading this book? I've got my thoughts. But David, what, what do you think? What do you think we we picked it up. Well, uh, you kind of laid out, here's, here's some suggestions. And, uh, I said, Hey, that one looks like a wanderer story. We haven't seen much about that. Let's do that. And then you said, JK, it's not a wanderer story. Close, but not, no, yeah. not really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then you, you, uh, you had a, a selling point on it you, you said, uh, this is a prequel to the end of enlightenment, a book that you've already read and enjoyed. I was like, well, that's good enough. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I too thought it was a wanderer story. Spears of Autumn sounds like a like a Kurnoff type deal. Uh, maybe a little bit of Ryan peppered in, but obviously not the case. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised to find out that it is um, sort of a prequel to that End of Enlightenment. End of Enlightenment, which is a Lumineth Realm Lords novel by Richard Richard Strickland, um, and that was really great, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And um, well, I'll, I'll ex- explain maybe why I thought this was a, a great relation to that story as we as we move on. But um, so those are those are good enough reasons for me. Hopefully, listeners, they're good enough reasons for you. Um, but as it, since it's a prequel to this uh, to this novel, I'm talking about when does this uh, story take place? Yeah. Um, so I, you have you can place this better than I can. What I what I picked up from this is that it is definitely during slash after uh, some of the events of uh, Broken Realms. Uh, so they, they speak explicitly about going into Shyish. Um, I, for me, it wasn't quite clear uh, just because I'm not as knowledgeable about it. Uh, but it seems like you, you've got it pinned down a little tighter uh, based on what you've jotted down. Yeah, so it, it helps having read the novel, right? Well, and also, I guess, doing an episode on Broken Realms Techlist. But so there's there's a few sort of major events that occur in Broken Realms Teclas. The first one being, well, I mean, broadly, is that like Teclas sort of invades Shyish with his forces because he's he's fed up with what Nagash is being up, or has, you know, what he's been up to. Um, and so they invade. Uh, it's a campaign of harrying, uh, you know, Nagash's forces in Shyish. It's an inspirational move, yada, 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 but they eventually leave. Um, and so this this story takes place after that. So there's there, the campaigns have sort of already occurred in Shyish, and a lot of the Illuminate are returning home. And um, this story and other stories sort of focus on, like, the ramifications of that, how the Luminath feel about that, um, essentially, and, and um, their reactions to, you know, having to return home. And then uh, facing down the potential threat of Nagash, uh, returning the favor, so to speak, um, which is a harrowing, t- harrowing time, to be sure. I feel like I used harrowing already. Can't use it twice. Um, so that's that's essentially where this this story takes uh, takes place. It's, it, it's nice to have a um, a specific timeline and a very fairly recent uh, uh, time frame for these stories because it really uh, sort of cements you, puts you in sort of in the the 
in the shoes of the characters as they're you know reacting to major events, which I love. I feel like I talk about that a lot. Mm. But moving on, let's hop into uh, to aware. I feel like I already talked about it a little bit, but um, I, I'll just keep going. And so this is this this particular story is going to be taking place in the Yometrica region continent i guess i don't know what the word the term is for what this is uh in hish and so like i said it's these lumineth returning home from the the campaign um and preparing for you know the worst essentially so it's i'm not, not super common that we get stories in hish though i feel like now we're getting more and more of them uh as as time goes gets on but it goes on so it's it's uh, an opportunity to get maybe a different environment in hish that we hadn't seen before which was Delightful. David, you had mentioned you haven't read a lot of Lumineth uh, books. How, does, the, does the setting do anything for you here? Uh, I, I enjoyed it um, because, uh, specifically because that it kind of prompted me to do, like I had brought up a map of Hish to uh, take a look because uh, I, I didn't have a good map of it. They mentioned Zintil a few times or Shintil. I don't know how you say that with the X, X-I-N-T-I-L. Mm-hmm. I'm the last uh, person to ask. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's only one other person, so you're the first and last. Uh, Aw, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, knowing that some of these characters are, are from that region, the center of Hish, where uh, humans also live in uh, more numbers than elsewhere in the realm, was educational for me. And they're just, you know, the some of the little tidbits that they dropped that uh, either didn't know or had forgotten about. You know, True Knight never fell in Hish, for instance, you know. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The realm of light. Like, I like those little touches uh, that remind you that you're in a particular realm instead of generic fantasy place, you know? Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of, you know, just if you're in a, a particularly northern hemisphere, like, you know, at certain times of year, and it, it never really gets dark or like it's only dark for moments, right? So uh, same same vibe. And then let's talk about some who's. So trying to debate how to do the who. Do I name the guy that is from the novel? I'm going to do it. Whoever, who even listens to these things, it doesn't matter. Um, so we are, uh, it, at least in some small part, uh, rejoined with a character uh, named Belfinnan, Belfinnan um, who is a John Ryder Steedmaster, uh, so a Lumineth cavalry dude. So he's, he's leading his, his you know, 500 strong um, uh, cavalry uh, across Hish, so to speak. Um, and... We get his sort of perspective, and then we get a, a, another perspective of one of his, I don't know, not underlings, I'm not a military guy, one of his troops, that's that's a word, um, that uh, the, between the two of them covers covers this short story. But it's um, it's a perspective, again, that given that Lumineth are relatively new, that we don't get a lot of Lumineth insight, or we haven't had a lot of Lumineth insights so far. And like a lot of the big stories... Uh, sort of campaign-wise, is we, we're following Teclas, right? Like that, that, the top of the, the pyramid, so to speak, or, or the ladder, I guess, so to speak. Um, yeah. So this is an opportunity to get some of the viewpoints of, you know, far, far lower on the rungs um, of Lumines. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other who thoughts? Yeah, there's, there's a Cephalus, I guess, Cephalus? Cephalus. Uh, Cephalus. Cephalus. <laughs> Let's call him Ceph. Yeah. Ceph, all right. Uh, this, this young writer in his, um, in his company, uh, kind of acts as a foil for some of the, um, exposition that we get, I suppose. Um, but he's, he's almost the only other character in here. Certainly the only character that has more than one speaking line, mm-hmm. uh, 
if you, if you, you know, particularly if you count his internal monologue. Um, and I do. And you have to. <laughs> uh, so those two kind of make the, the, um, the two points of this story. Yeah. And then I guess finally, that brings us to uh, our what. Is there any what's that we're missing? I feel like we jumped on a lot of it. No, I think we've, we've got that pretty well covered here. Yeah. Uh, prequel. Prequel story. All right. So enough of the spoiler-free stuff. Enough of, enough of the dancing. Uh, let's get right into full full spoilers, all the spoilers all the time, uh, starting right now. You guys didn't see, but I did a hand shot motion. All right. Um, so uh, the Spears of Autumn, we – I guess we start – the camera uh, opens up on um, – Bell, Bell Fennin, and he is a, I, I think Steedmaster is the word for like the leader of the, the Dawn Riders. He's got like 500 troops at his back, standing on some ridge. It's all very picturesque in Hish. Uh, and they see off in the distance, there's this big woods. And um, he's got a second in command. That person has a name. I wrote it down. Bethan. Um, mm-hmm. which is just, I think it's, it's, I think it's just Beth. I'm sure she goes by Beth. Um, <laughs> and she says, you know, sir, we can't go, th- we can't go through these woods. We got to go around it. But for you folks who know Belfinin, Belfinin, man, this is going to be rough. Uh, he, he's not going to go around nothing. And he stares it down and he says, we've got a place to be. And, uh, we're going to get there straight through, straight through this here woods. Mm-hmm. So that's the setting. Maybe we need a little, little, uh, or I guess we find out. Um, through this conversation, uh, a little bit of background about what's actually going on here. These woods are kind of the uh, home of restless spirits, I guess. Uh, some some lumineth from the fall, right? Uh, how do they call it the fall here? Yeah, Okari Dara. That is the term for the fall. The fall. Okay. Oh wait, okay. Did you mean the season fall, or did you mean the the fall of the lumineth? Whoa, connection. Oh, it's the fall of lumineth. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and it's, it's got a, um, ominous reputation, you know, haunted by spirits. Um, and so this is a gamble for a commander, right? Like he's, he's, I need to get there sooner rather than later, but he's got, uh, a whole bunch of untested, uh, in his ranks. Uh, not all of us have the hearts of veterans. Warren's, uh, is his second. Uh, we lost many in Shaish and the new recruits are untried. So, Going through here with uh, unseasoned soldiers, you may shake them even more, um, or you know it, it may uh, may toughen them up. You know, having gotten gone through a, a trial of some kind. So uh, here is you know he probably knows it's some, something of a calculated risk that he's taking by going through here. Yeah, but when we're talking about calculated risks, uh, I feel like that is probably Belfinin's. Uh, mo um because uh, as we find out you know throughout the story and again from the the novel that we read previously he's actually a, a he's kind of a, a hero type character he's his he's uh his bravery precedes him so to speak uh he did grant grand things uh in the campaign um in shayish uh, against nagash's forces um and so He's uh, he's never been one to sort of shy away from a, a challenge. Um, and furthermore, it, what maybe is driving his decision, or you know, driving him to this sort of maybe, maybe a brass decision is because he knows that he needs to go get his you know five hundred strong unit um, to the holy mountain 
um, in Yemetrica because um, this stone mage has called all aid to him, basically to sort of shore up their defenses there. And so he knows that time is of the essence and uh, they need to get to the aid of this, you know, stone temple um, in order to, you know, prepare for, prepare defenses and get ready for any sort of uh, retaliation that may come from Nagash. Mm. Spoiler alert, it's, it's coming. He's right. <laughs> it's not wrong. Um, so uh, because of this, uh, it's it's sort of driving it, already um, sort of rash uh, individual to um, sort of see where he can cut his corners uh, to get there all the quicker. Yeah, when we leave his perspective here, um, he, he notes a uh, one of his writers uh, looking, he's like that guy there and he's, he's on the edge of breaking. Uh, you know, he's, he can, he can see in the way that, that, that writer bears himself, that there's some doubt there, but his, his statement right before it cuts away to another perspective is uh, let us fear no darkness before darkness itself veils our eyes for there is plenty of time for caution when we're dead. <laughs> um, well, all right. <laughs> true i guess maybe more true in in the mortal realms than uh than elsewhere but like ooh, yeah that's one that's one way to think about it so i mean yeah i, I feel like that only that only is true in the mortal realms in that like when i die I, there's no no need but um <laughs> if you're you're getting kicked out into some sort of underworld yeah i suppose you do need to be especially cautious wise words uh from both and well i mean we find out later he's a poet too so like that that makes sense he's got he's got his, his way with his words um so, uh, like you said, uh, the scene scene does shift perspectives uh, to, I, as far as I know, that that same rider that he notes, you know, is has got a little bit of fear behind his eyes, um, and we we hop we hop behind those eyes to uh, Seth to Seth to Seth to his friends, and I think we're friends now after reading a story about him. Um, best There's a best with this transition here. Um, you know, obviously we're struggling with the name some, and I always kind of do that with. Uh, elven names in in uh this sort of fiction and what i what i realize i must do is that i start reading i'm like i'm not sure how to pronounce that and i kind of like blur over it what that means is that when i encounter the names again i was like wait is this one that i know or not and so <laughs> when it when it shifted i was like i had to say exactly that i was like wait is this guy i've already been introduced to and i had to like flip back like oh no no this is this is somebody new reread that previous paragraph i'm like oh i bet you were I bet you were Got the perspective of the the one who is looking more fearful. So uh, we're 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 in, we drop an in media res between the two the conversation between two of these writers, uh, Seth and his good friend Diffeth, but we're going to call him Diff because that's what his friends call him. Um, and they uh, we learn a little bit about the two of them and that they're relatively new to the scene to the Dawn Rider scene. Um, they sort of just recently been recruited uh, from. We know at least Seth was like a farmer's kid uh, and they were conscripted or just recruited or maybe he – I guess at one point it says he always dreamed about being a Dawn Rider, so maybe he volunteered. Um, so they have just recently joined um, this unit to sort of fill um, or like reinforce, you know, maybe the losses uh, from Shyish. And so they're sort of chatting back and forth as two new recruits probably do, um, sort of uh, talking about, you know, different – you know gavin about like the legends of some of the the folks uh, that are leading them or talking about you know future glories yada 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 but as they as they're sort of just you know discussing their their place in this uh unit it becomes clear that seth is starting to have some doubts um 
about whether he even belongs here in the first place, you know, the dangers ahead of them, um, knowing that like Nagash is probably breathing down your neck a little bit. Uh, and it really sets the, the stage to get sort of into Seth's perspective and, and realizing sort of the fear that's creeping into um, creeping into him. And of course, it doesn't help that they're in this spooky haunted forest uh, where he's getting whispers of, you know, spectral faces behind trees and stuff um, that is, they're sort of just egging on his, maybe not paranoia, but uh, feelings of unease to say it uh, lightly. Uh, and it's getting to him. Uh, how, did, how did the scene strike you, Davey? It was, uh, I enjoyed getting a little backstory you know the idea of a um uh you know i i actually part of the reason why i did sign off on yeah let's do this thing is i don't know a ton about the lumineth um it's not a faction historically that has uh, interested me like uh, you know what we get a lot of we get a lot of listeners a lot of people interact on the on our on our discord that that are all about them and i was like i i should those are cool folks i should i should give myself a little more knowledgeable and so it was uh i liked getting a little bit of their background a little bit of their dialogue i i think also uh and i'll return to this a little bit but uh the author doesn't write them quite as uh i don't know like uh, ethereal is not the word i'm looking for uh not as like kind of absurdly formal as i uh as i sometimes encounter elves in fantasy fiction you know um so i guess they were more relatable um just with this interaction. So um, that kind of warmed me to whatever story was going to be coming down, uh, coming down the wire from this. So Yeah. So, so much time is spent in the battle tomb where they talk about how they're, the Lumineth are like the greatest artisans and like they're all about, you know, perfect music and, and jewelry and magical items and they're mastering the winds of magic and they're climbing this Teclian ladder. Um, but so very little time is spent in those sort of, I don't know, top down official esque, uh, lore background uh, materials about like what, what's the bottom of the ladder look like uh are, are there not farmers is a question i feel like we go back to a lot uh, in the age of sigmar um and so yeah this is a great glimpse into what it is to be at the bottom i guess of a, of the luminous so to speak and even at the bottom the guy's got you know he's still got like his fancy helmet and his fancy armor and stuff he even talks about he's like i don't know that i belong in any of this any of this stuff but like the point is, it's still pretty, I don't know if decadence the word, but ornate, um, or impressive. So even their lowest um, have some impressiveness to them, um, but it's a glimpse into uh, sort of that perspective that we probably won't, we haven't gotten a lot of and we probably won't get a lot of uh, going forward. And so that was nice. And you talk about like, they aren't overly fancy. Yeah, I imagine when you are at the bottom of the ladder, so to speak, you don't speak with all this flowery language. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a farmer's kid. Like he's, he's not he's speaking in the poetry that, you know, that we've already seen a little bit um, from the head honcho i'm avoiding trying to say names Bel Bel belfinen belfinen um yeah uh we had sort of touched on it before but the, the reason we're seeing all these spooky spirits and whispers and stuff is the idea that this particular forest was uh, a place of like innovation back in the uh, age of myth um where the lumineth were you know performing great experiments and uh you know mastering great magics and yada 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 there was the karidara that we talked about there was the fall and so this place is now being sort of haunted is, is what the elves are able to gather. They're sort of haunted by like the spirits of those that fell here. And so they have a particularly malicious streak in them. Um, yeah, these ones in particular, they were researching the healing arts and that progressed on to, you know, well, like let's better understand it by understanding pain, like what causes pain with the classic world. Yeah. We've all done that. <laughs> uh, 
has has like a uh uh a 40k drukari vibe right like because they progressed onto torture and, and nastiness like that excuse me jv <laughs> i heard I, by the way i heard what you said on the orca episode i can't remember what it was but it was a specific we can say this because aaron's not here thanks a lot <laughs> get it out of your system <laughs> uh all right, so then the scene shifts. There's no chapters, but like it's kind of broken up into little sections here. Uh, fast forward a little bit. The the the, the troop I don't know, um, makes makes camp, and so everybody sort of goes their separate ways and sets up their fires and you know beds down for the quote unquote night. The David, you had mentioned that there's it's never really like true night here because it's it's hish. Uh, it's always essentially lit up. And so uh, Seth finds himself sort of off by by <laughs> finds himself by himself uh, with his horse uh, Twiselen. Twiselen. That's a cool name. That's a cool horse name. It's no shadow facts, but it'll do. Uh, and um, I think he's in trouble now, right? Like when he's by himself, he's really left to his own inner thoughts and the thoughts of those, you know, spooky whispers um, out in the forest. And this is where he, I think he really starts to despair. Um, shouldn't be here. He's just going to die. Like his, his, his dad needs help with the, the, the farm work. So like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry guys. Like I would stay, but my dad needs, he needs help with the farm work. And so he, he, as he's falling asleep, he sees everyone else. It seems like in a good mood. Uh, he, he doesn't understand why, like he can't feel that way too. Um, I think bringing his dad into it was uh, a good touch by the author. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, and who knows how it works for, for, uh, effectively like, well, for particularly long lived race, like the, the elves, but, um, this guy is certainly coded as like a, a young, young man. Right. Um, and there's this, there's this thing where like there, it's difficult to contemplate your own mortality. Like, uh, you know, it's, you often think that the bad things will happen to somebody else. Right. Like, um, that's why you end up with these young folks more likely to take risks on, you know, whatever it is in, in our world, like riding a motorcycle fast or without a helmet or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's so where, cool though. <laughs> where it gets to him is thinking of the impact on like the people that matter to him. So, uh, thinking about like how his father will feel when he learns of his death or thinking of like the particularly gruesome things like having his bones harvested by the Ossiarch bone reapers on some battlefield. Um, so those are the pieces of his doubts that rang particularly true for me. Um, that, uh, that I, I thought was a good bit of writing there. Yeah. And all the while the, the voices are egging him on. So like they, they can tap into his inner thoughts in some way and, um, are, are telling him what it sounds like he already wants to hear. Um, and so, uh, although he, he I think, makes to fall asleep i don't know i think maybe he sleeps but then gets back up i can't remember but it doesn't matter so uh he i think he he gets closer and closer to the decision that he's he's gonna he's gonna book it he's gonna boogie on out of here um he's got he's got better places to be so um the, the camp falls asleep uh uh seth um uh, i guess buys his time or or picks an opportunity to slink away um, when, when no one will know. He, he's convinced that he's going to be able to get out of camp without anybody catching him. So he packs up his S word and uh, hops on his horse and uh, moseys on. He hits, hits the dusty trail, I think is an appropriate uh, horse-based um, image. Uh, and and heads, back, heads back the way uh, they came, um, sort of again with this, the whispers encouraging, encouraging him. But as he makes his way down the path uh, a little bit, uh, down, you know, down the road. Who does he stumble upon? But our boy Bel- Belfin and Belfin and 
Bel, Belfin, Belfin, I feel like there should be more vowels in there. Um, Belfinin, uh, who's sitting on a log, whittling a stick, looking cool AF. Uh, <laughs> and Seth is obviously taking it back. He's, I mean, he knows he's caught, and so he stammers out or tries to stammer out an excuse. I was just only, I was just, it, it, but it doesn't matter. Belfin knows, he knows what's up. And uh, they, have a, they have a nice little uh, heart to heart. Um, Seth admits that, you know, he's terrified. He doesn't belong here. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta leave. I, I'm gonna, you know, this is this was a bad decision. This is a bad choice. And Belfin says, "Hey, look, man, don't worry about being." As I paraphrase, "Hey, man, don't worry about being afraid." Hey, man. I, yeah, uh, you you know my legend, don't you? And Seth is like, "Well, yeah, of course, you're you're Belfin in the Brave. You you turned some big battle with your counter charge, and you you chopped fools up, um, and you you earned you know a great you know your great title uh, because yeah. of you know your valiant efforts." This comes up specifically because he's look. He says, "Look, of course you're afraid. Everyone here is afraid." And Seth is like, "Well, obviously not you. It's there in your name. You're Belfin and Brave. <laughs> uh, you won the field at the Shadrian Crisis, which I did a little bit of looking. I oh. couldn't see if that was a thing we knew about. I hadn't heard of it, but I didn't even look. I should. I should have looked. Um, and he's like, "You're younger than I was, and you basically single handedly won the day on that." Belfin is like, "Well, let me tell you. Let me. Let me." Paint you a picture of uh, flashback. Uh, yeah, and so then we transition. We we have another uh, sort of little jump here. Um, previously, it was point of view, uh, and now we're just going back to him him telling the tale um, of uh, the Shadrian Crisis. Well, so uh, one thing of note here: this is uh, they are. Uh, fighting, they're fighting the God Seekers. Um, he talks, the God Seekers fought like demons, although they were no more than elves and men. And I was like, elves, tell me more. Me more. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you, you periodically, I think there's somebody just on our discord maybe today asking, you know, what, what factions have elves who have fallen to chaos and they were all like, well, there's the splintered bang has that one figure, but they're few and far between in, in representation as far as, uh, uh, on there. Uh, and this is clearly a story that is, um, uh, a little bit of a struggle for Belfin and it's, it's not, uh, a great memory for him. Uh, you know, he says, do you want to know the legend or do you want to know the truth? And that's how he launches into this. So he, he's talking about fighting these God seekers, uh, and says that, uh, saying just how terrible the, uh, the enemy was at this, uh, and how, it was uh, it was a horrifying sight, and their lord, uh, Lord Aquilith, fell, and they were thrown into confusion. Um, their front line collapsed. He's off on the left, and he could see everything being a falter. And Seth is like, "Well, what did you do?" And he says, uh, "I you know, I felt ashamed. Uh, I turned and then I ran. Uh, that that was you know it's a kind of a shocking admission for that. So he, this this uh, Belfin the the brave. I turned and ran. Most of us did." Uh, and then he looked back and he can see his friend still riding hard towards the, uh, towards the enemy. And it's that moment that he feels, feels ashamed. Uh, and it wasn't that he felt ashamed, uh, because I mean, he, he was already, you know, struggling with some of those feelings as far as running, but it's what it's, uh, seeing his comrade still pushing forward, um, is what, what convinced him to turn around and, and go back. Uh, and then his act, you know, it's, it's this kind of cascading thing in the same way that panic can flood through a battle line, uh, that act of him turning around, somebody else sees him and another one sees 
that and another sees that and they they all turn and charge again and it's uh as they return uh they're able to uh kind of charge anew and win the day um, and part of what must be making this memory difficult for him is that uh that friend that he saw that kind of inspired him to return uh died on that day um he wasn't he wasn't you know like it wasn't one of the heroes of the of the uh luminate it was uh just one more soldier and so he says uh he died cut down by a god seeker's blade unheralded unwarned by any except me it seems a little <laughs> little like nobody else noticed this person but you know i i get what he's getting at like he, he felt that loss pretty acutely um and he uh he uses that you know to say look like you know fear got the better of me once but it's you you do your duty and you do it uh for the uh, elves to the your left and your right if nothing else like that's that's what you can do and it's not it's not uh bad to be afraid um you just have to be able to manage that so that's kind of his, his pep talk based on his uh the truth behind a legend um that really his his uh, soldiers are in awe of yeah yeah um and uh, the pep talk works, so it, it, it convinces uh, Seth to return, and so the scene sort of ends there. But we we pick back up as the uh, the cavalry unit uh, sort of reaches the end of the forest. They you know they've braved the dangers of of um, the the blessed wood, and uh, they sort of are able to sort of stare across the the expanse ahead of them and see the holy mountain Ulferidon. Um, off in the distance and they know all right well that's our our destination is there um and uh so seth basically is prepared to you know face down the any dangers that they uh have ahead of them knowing that like his goal is to be there for his you know his allies his friends um in in the unit so that's what is able to convince him to put on a brave face and then belfin has his he's he's back to his old i mean because he while telling his story he gets kind of sort of sullen and crestfallen but he's back to his old bravado self uh and um leads his his forces onwards i don't know if there's a trumpet but i feel like there should be a trumpet there i i think uh one small connection i saw there is the idea of this uh of the heroic commander being uh being part you know what that person actually is or does or or uh how they are but also part performance right like he's able to kind of flip this switch um, similar to, uh, instead we get the internal monologue, a lot of, um, uh, your boy Hamilcar, right? Uh, like Hamilcar has all this bravado, but also some of it is for show that we've, you know, when we, when we're reading about him is like, well, I, you know, I, I need to be this big, you know, he's got some internal doubts, but he never shows them externally, um, uh, in those, in those moments where he needs to be the, um, roaring, uh, bellicose, uh, war leader, you know. Um, so this is kind of a theme that we've seen uh, with, before with with uh, some of those Stormcast stories, which uh, I enjoyed. Yeah, and I think it's easy to fall into the trap of making your big, larger than life, you know, general type characters as you know always sure of themselves. Um, but obviously, what makes a good character is is having a lot more depth than that. And this is why I like uh, Belfin and Belfin and more. And in fact. I liked him. I liked him before he was cool. No, I liked him in the novel before you knew any of this, right? He was just that larger than life, big personality. And then to have, well, and I'm kind of jumping ahead. This is more of an in-depth thought, but, uh, but then they have this short story to prove that, no, he's more than that. 
um, I think adds that third dimension, maybe fourth dimension, I don't know, um, to this character that makes him all that more appealing. But we can talk more about characters in, in, a, in a second. Mainly, well, I guess before I happen to who was your favorite character, do you have any other thoughts about the story that you want to chat about before we get into some standardized questions? Uh, no, we can we can go to the standardized. I'll see what comes up and maybe circle back with some other thoughts here. Great idea. Hey, Davey, who was who was your person? There's not not a lot of uh, choices to pick from. I usually like to kind of go with the um, with the deep cut here. Um, I know, and what what is the deep cut even for this? No, you're right. Exactly. I, I maybe you found one. Um, I, but uh, for me, uh, I, either you know the deep cut or just some someone that I can kind of see some of that in. And um, one of my previous careers, I was a uh, I was an officer in the uh, U.S. military, and this idea of like uh, you you know for for that you kind of come in, you've got just a little bit of training uh, or a lot, but sometimes it feels like not much, and then you're put in this position you know, with a lot of responsibility. And so that's a lot of what Seth is struggling with. He's not an officer in this case, but he has a lot of responsibilities. And so his doubts were, he's like, man, like I am, you know, I'm just, just got here. I have a little, uh, you know, just a little bit of training. Now I've got to be doing these big things like that kind of, um, you know, I mentioned at the, uh, the beginning, this this idea of the imposter syndrome, like, well, I'm not really supposed to be here. Like, working through those doubts is like kind of a big thing of, of, uh, of, uh, finding your place in this sort of an organization. Uh, and so, um, maybe not, you know, explicitly like all the things he was thinking, but some of those, some of those feelings is like, yeah, I got you. I hit me a little bit there. So, um, I'll, I'll pick Seth. Uh, in terms of possible deep cuts, it could, I thought maybe you might, uh, drift towards Amaris, which was Belfinan's friend who led the, who died and led the charge in that. What, what do we know about him, right? That he, he led a charge by himself against, um, so maybe that's not the most like relatable characteristic because that's a, that's a huge bravery. I'm not that brave. So I don't see myself in that. Yeah. In him at all, but like, no, what little we know about him seems like a great dude willing to sort of sacrifice himself and sort of lead that, uh, if not suicidal, it ended up being so, um, charge. And then him not even knowing that he turned the tide of, through his actions, through his like last ditch uh, charge, he ended up, you know, turning the tide of the battle. It seems important. However, that's not my, that's not my guy. Um, my guy is definitely Belfin and, um, cause he's the best. I love that guy. Um, and it's not fair because I feel like I, I have seen more of him in the novel, which I do recommend, uh, folks reading and he is very much a hamilcar-esque character and obviously i love hamilcar um well uh, i i uh made that connection without having read the the, the uh next one very much as it's i imagine the difficulty in trying to write lumineth characters without them sort of all being the same like why, why do you insert different characteristics and, and and you know make them unique um and also have them in some ways try to separate them a little bit from what like the high elves are I, from you know the old world i didn't read a lot of old world stuff and i didn't I didn't spend a lot of time with those characters, but from what I've done with, you know, Teclas and Tyrion and, and those names, um, how do you try and differentiate and then also make your Lumineth characters uh, uh, unique? And although I see a lot of Hamilcar in Melfinan, it's sort of with a elf facade or Hamilcar in an elf costume, um, mm. which I don't begrudge. And, and he's got his, his own 
unique taste as well. Like he, he, the dude's a poet. No one's ever called Hamilcar, Hamilcar a poet. Like he wants to recite songs and he's telling, you know, writing poetry and singing songs that everybody else is groaning about. So that's also as a, a there's a point in my book for that. Um, Cause so maybe he's not very good at it. Yeah. Which is awesome. I'm not good at a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> and so because of that, I just, I do like spending time with him. And then it just cemented how much I liked him, the story, knowing that he's got that sort of, I don't know, vulnerable side that it comes from, uh, you know, a place of, um, like a wound from his past, uh, so to speak. And um, we never really saw his perspective in the novel. Like, I don't know that he was ever the point of view. And so mm. from what I, even though I liked him as third, of a third person character, I like him all the more knowing that I can, you know, knowing what I know about him in his own, in his own brain. And like in some ways, not always, but in some ways he is kind of full of, uh, <laughs> shoot, I mean. Um, <laughs> and uh, I had one other thing. Thought. Oh, just that we're talking about how he turned around to try and like, you know, charge with his friend, you know, back historically. Um, mm-hmm. There was a certain element of like he was he was ashamed and he, he you know, saw the bravery in his friend and like it instilled bravery to him. But like another part of it was he felt bad because he didn't want his friend to die alone. So it's not even that like or I mean, mm-hmm. it's not only the bravery, but it was uh, he's going to die I'm probably going to die too. We should at least die next to each other. Like, I don't want to be over here and him over there. Like, I literally want to be at his side while we die. And so that is kind of a different type of bravery. It's not like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to win the day. It's literally, let me just, if I'm going to die, I'm just going to do it over there, um, you know, with with my pal, um, which was a, a more of a camaraderie, in some ways more of a camaraderie thing as opposed to like a, you know, a a bravery thing, which I thought was neat. And so that really drive, drove the point home where he's talking about, you know, you got to do it for your friends. Um, it, it's, not, it's not, don't do it for your, you know, country. Don't do it for, you know, what have you. It's for the, you know, it's the, it's the connections of the person, like you said, to your left and to your right, which, um, mm-hmm. which was, which was great. Uh, so long answer for a short question. Uh, is my guy. I want to see him and Hamilcar hang out. That'd be best, best buds. I'm sure of it. Or they would hate each other. Either way, good story. Let's check it out. Um, because then I'm going to ask you, did you learn anything about the mortal realms that you didn't know before? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, some was, and I uh, maybe relearning a thing that I had known, you know, the thing about the light in Hish, that thing, just a little bit more about the spire fall or whatever, when the uh, little bit of fleshing out some of the, the back of that um, was, was good for me. So not big world-shaking things, but... Uh, making a realm I don't know as much about feel a little more lived in. I appreciate that. Yeah, along those same lines. Um, the so the, the the reason it's called Spears of Autumn is because this apparently is taking place in autumn in fall, um, and that was sort of news to me. And that not that I thought it was impossible that there would be seasons in Hish, but like it's something you know, I hadn't really thought about. But like you would think in a realm that's always light all the time. I guess that doesn't matter what so seasons are dependent on which way your planet's tilting towards the sun which you wouldn't think any any of that would apply to uh, a mortal realm but um apparently uh even magical or trees in a magical mystical land uh still need to go through their life cycles and so the leaves were falling um and it really uh set a set a scene that i wouldn't have expected to see in hish but then it just sort of reinforces the idea that almost any landscape or environment can exist in any realm at any time so uh it was uh, it was a sort of the juxtaposition of a place that i in some ways thought i knew and a scene that i thought i knew and, and put them together in surprising ways um so that was cool seasons in hish you heard it here it's first mentioning uh it's worth mentioning that uh is choice to place this in fall i don't know if there was anything about uh about the broken realms that said you know like this 
this clearly should be happening in the fall, but uh, it was thematically a choice he's making as well. You know, it's kind of this, uh, the coming of winter slash the coming of death, right? Like um, the, uh, the gash death is coming um, in a similar way. Winter is coming to the, the realm here. So kind of like a, a foreboding uh, moment before, um, you know, uh, signaling something ominous to come, which I, I like that uh, little touch of theme there. Yeah, I mean, he had to, he had to have done that on purpose. That must have been an intentional thing. And no, I don't think there are any references to seasons in like the Broken Realm stuff. And so, what a great opportunity to have sort of a blank slate and sort of call your shot a little bit. And you're like, no, this is this is the season that, that this my story will take place in. Um, plus, what a great time to read this story in the fall here um, in Madison, Wisconsin. It's getting real folly out there, guys. <laughs> Watch out now. Um, all right, so let's do uh, any other like Black Library story recommendations for folks who may have read this and like this and they want more. Um, I'll just start with the obvious one in that uh, The End of Enlightenment is a sequel novel, I guess, even though it came out first, um, about uh, basically the um, once the cavalry, sorry, at some point they reach the, the, um, the holy mountain and it's about the defense of that mountain and it follows the uh, the stone mage perspective on you know how they um fight off is that giving away no it's not telling you know it's coming so how they fight off um nagash's uh, forces and you know the enemies that um beset them there in uh Yometrica. so very cool um it, it it, it's, the writing is, you know, just as good as it ends up being in this story. Um, characters are great because it's got Belle Fennin in it, um, and uh, it's even more of a insight into uh, Lumineth culture, which I think was sorely needed. And so it's it's pretty pretty tasty. Um, also, speaking of Lumineth novels, there's another one uh, called Realm Lords by Dale Lucas, which is a Lumineth novel about um, sort of a, an aspirant to the Stone Temple um, pilots. Uh, the so they're they're fighting off sort of the faces forces of chaos, and that book is uh, pretty good too. And it's neat because it um, gets uh, gets you a bunch of different sort of mo- like units or like model individuals in the story because it brings in a bunch of putting together a team sort of thing um and so you can get uh, uh the viewpoints of like um one of the archer people and one of the spear people and uh, a bunch of the stone mages and stuff and so it's cool to like give you a little snapshots of into each of them um and so it's also a pretty good pretty book and pretty good book and also yet another uh way to learn more about the lumineth and sort of how do they operate yada 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 so those are the two novels that i know of and have read uh that focus on lumineth there might be others i mean i guess there's the short story in um, the Diarchism oh, yeah, uh, yeah, anthology. Yeah. There's, there's yes. Lumineth there as well. Look at that warband. If, uh, if you wanted to branch out outside of Black Library, and why would you? But uh, there is uh, this idea of, you know, uh, this is looked at a, a soldier that basically almost abandoned uh, his post, right? Like Seth, Seth but for Belfin and uh, having kind of sussed it out and set up uh in his in his uh basically extrication route uh he he would have run away uh i was reading a book a few years ago called the deserters by charles glass it's a it's an it's a non-fiction but it's about uh deserters in world war ii and kind of some of the motivations and uh what what happened with that it was uh, a really intriguing read so th- if this kind of sparks some interest in some of that for you uh, that'd be a, a way to read more about that um some of the pressures you know a lot of a lot of the stories are that we read for this are about the kind of the 
the glorious victories or, you know, big combats and all those big moments. But um, it's pretty interesting to delve into this other side of things. It's like the, the kind of fear and doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Even removed from the conflict itself. Sure. Um, I feel like we've gotten some stories from like free guild, free gilder, like deserters as well. It wasn't the shade star shade spire novel was about, I mean, it wasn't about the act of deserting, but it was about a deserter. And I feel like there's maybe one or two other ones as well. So like that theme yeah, does uh, creep up uh, now and then bound to happen. Um, sounded like you might have more thoughts. Do you got anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I it just, I guess I felt like, uh, he did a good job. The author did a good job of, uh, like I said, uh, humanizing, which is an interesting word to use about this, but, uh, humanizing the, the elves for me. Um, so, uh, I, um, connected better with them and, uh, there's been, there, there's, uh, there's evidence that like these motivations that, uh, Belfinan has of, of, uh, turning and, um, Turning and fighting at the um, in that moment of his legend's creation, but his his turning and fighting uh, to be to be on the side of his friend or you know, be there be there for his friend who is is charging for like there's evidence that that is a lot of what uh, motivates people who are actually you know soldiers men and women who are in that kind of combat situation like what keeps them going is less about like the mission or the higher purpose and more about the person. Uh, to your left or to your right um and so i thought i thought uh he captured that pretty well um i really like that about it and uh made me enjoy it all the more sure you're kind of turning this into a review so keep going if you want to do that part yeah i thought it was uh i thought it was a solid uh little story it was uh i actually just read it last night and uh i was surprised I kind of thought it was, I don't know, I I, I didn't have like a good page count on it. So I was surprised that it was as uh, short as it was, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it was a good um, bang for your buck, I suppose. (laughs) As uh, as far as like, uh, you know, we say this all the time, but like getting getting something interesting about uh, like fleshing out the corners, filling in the painting in the details or filling in the corners of the mortal realms with these short stories. That's what what I really like them for. So, you um, and me both. Yeah. Uh, as far as a rating, we'll give it 16 out of 19 stories included in Thunderstrike <laughs> and other stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, if I knew Hish better, I might have uh, said there's probably eight realms in that or whatever. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ten. I want to say there's like four on a side, one in the center, and one on the outside. I think is how they do it. I don't. I can't remember. Um, all right, we'll do that. Eight out of ten. <laughs> Eight out of ten regions of Hish. Um, uh, I liked it, uh, and uh, enough that I uh, I may make some time to uh, check out the uh, End of Enlightenment since uh, you enjoyed it. And actually, I, I didn't realize the uh, the other books that he'd. You were kind of listing them off. I'd forgotten to take a look at that. Um, I've enjoyed everything I've read by him so far uh, from Black Library. So, did you end up reading uh, the Catacombs book? I did. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, right on. Any other thoughts? No, it's just that trick where he he uh, finds a way to help you identify. He did it in um, he did it in Blood of the Everchosen, where there's a, a couple characters in there that wouldn't have expected to identify with, and he he found a way to make that happen. So, sure, sure. Um, yeah. The strength of his for for me at least. What about you? What do you think? 
Um, I liked it. Let's let's rattle off the things I liked about it. First of all, continuity. Can't get enough of that continuity. If you have two different stories, I can follow some characters that I know. That's all I want on a black library. I want every book to be about someone that I've already read about before. I'm the problem with modern cinema and you know books and stuff is that and I want I just I want long, sprawling uh, series essentially. Um, it helped that it was about one of the characters that I really liked in the novel that I read. Belfin, an awesome guy. I'm all about him. Um, the, the reason this, I like this short story is uh, Black Library excels, A, in the short story form, but we've talked about that a million times. I don't need to get into it. But also when it's very character-focused or character-driven, it's um, we can, you can take me to the most fantastical wild settings. People can do the most wild, fantastical stuff. But like I'm more glued to the page when the character themselves is you know interesting. For, for lack of I'm mean, just to put it simply, like... Interesting can mean a million different things, but it, the character needs to keep me engaged. And um, I think a lot of times, not pointing any fingers, but you read stories and the, the characters are maybe either a you know one dimensional, which sometimes is okay. Like I'm okay with a big you know one trick uh, individual if it means that they can do some you know cool stuff. Um, but oftentimes the characters don't have personality at all, and it's just sort of a bland. Like you can insert yourself because they're no like they're nobody. It's it's just you know a, a regular person. Um, I, I want them to be unique. I want them to leap off a page um, in, in different ways. Um, and this Belfinning guy, to some degree, and then sort of his reflection in Seth, uh, they both are compelling, you know, character arts. They they learn stuff. They they grow, you know, whether in the past or throughout this part of the story. Um, and you don't always get that in um, some of the Black Library stuff. I think the best one, the best Black Library stories do sort of display that. And this is a great example of it. Um, and Black Library stuff also sometimes devolves into sort of random, non-inconsequential like battles and fights and stuff. I mean, it's not Bolter porn, but whatever the Age of Sigmar equivalent is. This one had none of that. I mean, there was, I don't know if a weapon was drawn. At one point, he sets a lance down. Does that count? Um, and so it just goes to show, at least for me, I don't I don't need the big fights. I find a lot of times I just, I scan through the fights because they're not that they're all the same, but like you've read one Black Library fight, you've read them all. Um, and so I don't, this reinforces the idea that I don't need those. Maybe some people do. Maybe that's the only reason some people read these stories, but that's not necessarily the reason why I do. And um, I, I, I didn't miss it in this story, and I don't. It would have made it worse. I don't know how you could have even included. It. I guess like maybe the spirits could have came like creeping out of the woods, and then Belfin and, and Seth have to fight back to back, striking down the. Okay, you know what? Maybe that would have been cool. Come to think of it, um, Richard, you missed you missed a trick. Um, but it, it didn't. It didn't need it. It, may, it would have maybe weighed it down. And um, the the delight was in learning about these these two individuals. Um, so I think the the great settings uh, can make you. You know, the the great fantastical settings can make you say, "Wow, that's neat." But it's the it's the characters that can make you like say, "Yeah, I really enjoyed that." You know, uh, like I connected with that. Sure. I mean, you can list. All, I mean, well, this is maybe wandering a field a little bit, you can list off cool things about a place and I don't need to read stories about it. You can just say, well, this place has um, trees are made of snakes. Um, and like, oh, that, that's fun. But like, that doesn't glue me to a page. That doesn't keep me flipping through to see, you know, um, who's doing what. It's the, the characters are most important. And um, I think uh, Richard, I'm going to call him first name, more on first name basis, uh, does does a great job with his characters. And this is, this proves it for me. Uh, and so if I'm going to give a rating, I'll give it maybe even a nine. You gave it an eight, I'll give it a nine. Autumn leaves tumbling from the from the trees in the blessed woods um, is when I'll I'll give it. And I don't know what it would have taken to get a ten, but um, it, it was pretty darn close. 
fun. So that's what I think of this one. I recommend picking it up. And actually, listeners, if you yourself uh, have read this story, let us know what you think. Yeah, you can see this is tricky. You can find us on all our social stuff, yada, yada, yada. So um, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, uh, reach out and let us know. Um, but David, do you have any final closing thoughts about here this here short story? No, it was, uh, uh, other than just saying it was, uh, it was fun to kind of have one that was a little like shorter than some of the ones we've been reading and like without the, without the, you know, fight scenes, combat scenes, it was, it was nice to have that kind of change up. So I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad we picked this one. I'm glad we landed on this one for whatever reasons we got there. Sure. I was worried that it didn't have enough meat on the bone to talk about, but whoa, look at that timer. Um, yeah. <laughs> classic. Uh, and with that, it's time for our reforging. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at the mortal realms. Davey, where can they find you on the internet? I'm at red underscore Zeke, or if you want to talk Underworlds uh, with our podcast, at WTHCast. Awesome. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at DosAsos, and obviously you can check out our other work at, on the story phase, um, and you can find all our other Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Welcome to the Pocket Realm, a Mortal Realm short story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gates this episode are... I'm Davey, and Aaron, do you want some pocket squeaks to help you finish that food you're chomping on right now? <laughs> I do. Uh, and I'm Aaron, and you grata gets busy living or gets busy dying. Mm. Uh, and today, uh, we are going to talk about Shriekstone. Now I have some higher, more intensity, more energy. Uh, we're going to talk about Shriekstone by Evan Dickin. Um, a little short story, a little ditty about some gloom spite gits. Uh, how exciting. But uh, before we do that, hey, Danny, how are you? Um, What's up? How are you today? Doing just fine. And yourself? I'm good. Still chewing. Um, yeah. Um, let me get, let me stop talking for a second so that I can, I can eat this and uh, I'll ask you, Hey, what you been up to in the hobby lately, my dude? Uh, we had a good day outside yesterday. And so I spray coated a whole bunch of stuff to build up a, a winter, winter supply, um, to work on. So a little bit of terrain, uh, a couple war bands for underworlds, uh, I want to try and do the Grimwatch, some ghouls. I haven't really done anything in that uh, lane as far as that goes. So I'm going to try and do them, you know, gory and bloody. So that was fun. And uh, don't tell Aaron, but uh, I read, uh, <laughs> I, I was reading a, a Dan Abnett, which uh, I haven't read in a while, um, a Double Eagle, one that's uh, about uh, the Imperial Navy, you know, 40K, but flyers. It has a real kind of World War II air war aviation vibe which is pretty fun it was uh pretty enjoyable um especially as far as black library goes so right on. very cool what about you um you've been doing yeah what i've been doing still doing nurgle stuff i'm on my plague drones currently i started this nurgle assembly project before we knew nurgle was coming out mm. but now we do and that really has no bearing on anything that I do. It's just a fun co coincidence, and uh, I love I love seeing those connections in real life. Um, so. Nurgle, uh, we're we're as we were reading this, I, I thought to we'll get back to it, but uh, uh, I was dropping the author a line, uh, asking some questions, and then I uh, 
made me think of, you know, you always uh, trying to get on the line with Josh Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then... Because uh, we're best friends. I, mean, I don't need to try hard. Like, yeah, he uh, scoops up the Aaron phone and it's, it's just right there. Yeah. The Aaron line. Um, it made me remember Order the Fly and it's like, oh man, how, how have I gone this far and I don't have an Order of the Fly army? What a cool, you know, what a cool uh, piece of the background. You'd have to do some... I mean, you could just have Nurgle and say it's Order of the, Order of the Fly. You'd have to do quite a bit of like converting to like really make them look real knightly. I mean, you got the Blight Kings, but the rest of the range doesn't really buy into that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm definitely doable. Yeah. It's, it, there's there's a, a few factions, not to digress too far, but there's a few factions in the in the background where I just really love reading about them. And maybe that's enough for me. Like I really love reading about, um, well, I was just mentioning uh, ghouls, right? Like the mm-hmm. uh, Flesh Eater Quartz. Um, not the biggest fan of the model range, but man, they're so fun to read about. And maybe, maybe order the fly is the same thing for me. Sure. Sure. And, and at least for me, like nothing I could do would ever make them live up to what they were in my head. And so like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tempt fate by even attempting it. So yeah, that's uh, see, there's that self-deprecation, right? Slide that one right in there. Yeah. That's why you got to uh, role play them, do, do a little yeah. full bound or something. <laughs> uh, coincidentally, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you heard, but I did just, um, I don't, when this is going to hit so if it's even pertinent anymore but yes uh we we done that soul barn bound game about a year or so ago just one little uh one little session of what would have been a larger campaign that we just sort of fizzled out and didn't do the rest of but i released it on patreon which is where most people are probably listening to this episode um so folks can just see how bad of a gm i am and a little little soul bound taste it's weird that like we are we, we are so coincidental we are so in Soulbound's lane, mm-hmm. and yet we talk so about talk about it so little. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to throw out what 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 tidbit I had about uh, our relation to the Soulbound space. That was a weird way of phrasing that. Um, in terms of reading stuff, I'm not reading anything currently right now because we have to decide on Davy's book club book. But yeah. whatever it ends up being is what we'll read. I don't, it's not the road, probably. It's going to be a different book. Our at full spread there to try and see. Uh, what uh, put a put a wide variety out? I think it was the road, uh, Summerland, and then uh, anthology um, called uh, the Paper Menagerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that one's winning the the uh, um, compilation uh, mainly because it allows people just to read as much as they can for book club, and they don't yeah. have to miss out on reading a whole novel. On that softball, would <laughs> yeah, making it easy. Yep. Um, but enough about non age of sigmar stories blah get the taste out of our mouths um let's get a palate cleanser and and hop into uh, uh hop into talking about shriekstone mm-hmm. by evan dickin i'm trying to think if we've read any previously any evan dickin stuff i think we did he did a novella path to glory i think that was him that, that we yeah. received that pretty well um i think so yeah, it yeah. was a different take than we'd uh seen at the time um it was kind of a the side of things of how how people in the mortal realms uh what happened to them like as the age of chaos came on that was that was pretty fun uh i remember at the time really enjoying getting a different perspective yeah i agree i agree um i guess before we go any further we have to officially jump into the story phase though so so to do so i I need your help if you would be so kind oh okay um the story phase in the story phase we delve into the stories characters creatures and environments of the nine realms yeah, keep going. The story. I don't know if I always say that. As vengeful Duarden gather to reclaim their ancestral home, Ratgob, ruler of Shriekstone, is determined to defend what's his from the Stunties and his ambitious shaman. Ooh, kind of gets a 
little bit of a way. I yeah. gives the story away right there and there. Um, but let's, oof, guys, listeners, pretend you didn't hear that. And let's talk our spoiler-free section about, about Shriekstone here. And let's lead right off the bat with why we're going to read this. Um, Davey, I'll ask you first. Do you have any, did you have any burning reasons as to why we, we picked this story? Uh, or smoldering. In in the same way that uh, the last one we picked was from a Lumineth perspective, which I felt like we hadn't done a whole lot of in the past. Uh, this one was uh, from a um, from a Gloom Spike Git perspective, which is something we haven't done a bunch of. And so, I, for me, it was about uh, getting some more perspectives into our reviews, uh, and I thought that would be fun. Um, so, honestly, I thought about this and some some other things along those lines. Um, what uh, I think I threw out um, three and you picked amongst the three. So how, how did we end up on this one? You know, that's a good question. I think at the time I thought um, that we are entering this age of beasts and of the three stories, this one was the most destruction leaning. And so that might've been just all, all the reason entirely. But to your point about not necessarily, not necessarily having a lot of gloom spite exposure. I remember when we read the gloom spite novel, mm-hmm someone's complaint or maybe it was most people's complaint was that like it was gloom spite on the title or you know on the cover but it, yeah. it wasn't very much gloom spite perspective in the in the book and so maybe without ever consciously thinking about that maybe knowing that i didn't get the perspective there met me left me wanting to get a gloom spite perspective somewhere else and so subconsciously i think i was drawn to this book for that same reason whether or not it was most people's complaint, I think uh, our own Paul Wagner complained enough for it to be. Oh, I was I was dancing around it, yeah. <laughs> so so in that in that case, we got to dive right in, uh, feet first into a, a little gloom spite story. Trust or suffice it to say that you get gloom spite perspective, whether you like it or not. Here, um, so uh, let's jump to the when. When does the story take place, and does it relate to anything that we know or love in the timeline thus far? I'm seeing a head shake. Uh, we don't know and we can't say, uh, is kind of the short of it. Uh, well, no, I'll take that back. The one thing we do know is that it is at some point in the timeline after the character and overlords are back in the mix. Uh, True. Well, that's a good shot. So, uh, I guess after, and then, I mean, you can then, uh, conclude forward that, uh, also the gates of his ear have opened because, uh, it looks like there's dispossessed involved as well. There's kind of a, a grand alliance at one point. Okay. Um, and that's about as conclusive as I can get. Did you have... I'm wondering, and I'm maybe I'll cut this out because I can't recall. Just, did the band Moon not really get... It's like really start kicking off until after the Necroquake? Did like the Necroquake somehow supercharge the gloom spite? I don't know if I can say that. I, I don't know if we know that for sure. Uh, um, it with more authority and then edit it out if you're wrong when you do your extensive <laughs> research after the podcast, which is the perfect time to do your research. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll tell you what, I, I don't care if I sound uh, uh, speculative. Uh, I'm not going to say it again with more authority. I don't know that I have more authority in me. Um, so <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah, this is as authoritative as I get. So there's not a lot of when, but that's okay. I think when you're dealing with Gloom Spy, Gloom Spy are timeless. Um, a, a grot in the Age of Myth probably functions very similarly to a grot that functions uh, in the Age of Sigmar. So mm-hmm. um, not a lot of differences there. Uh, but if we're going to go down the list of our W's, let's jump into a where. Where is this story taking place? Grr, for sure. Um, <laughs> and uh, it is a mountain that's known by a couple different things, but the, the gets known as Shriekstone. So. Yeah, yeah. And, w- and what do we know about mountains in Gur is they are hungry. Yeah. And 
if not sentient, at least alive. I, I think every, every resident of Gur has to be cognizant of the mountains. You always got to keep an eye on those mountains. Mm. Um, you never know. They never know what they're up to. Real shifty, tectonic shifty. Um, so, uh, that's the where. I'm trying to think if there's any. I mean, we don't really leave the mountain. That's all we need to know. So there's not much uh, else there. Let's keep going. Let's keep going on the list. Um, who who are we dealing with here? I think it, it was mentioned in the the preamble. So who's this rat gob? Uh, he's a loon boss, but more importantly, he's the high creeper. Patrick <laughs> Stone, which is quite the title. I've, I mean, I've I've been called I've been called that. Oh dear. Oh no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we got his point of view. Uh, Essentially, exclusively, uh, we encounter some other characters through his his point of view. But you know, it's a short story is not a not gonna switch a lot of perspectives here. Um, sure, sure. Get to know him a little bit. So you'd be hard pressed to do so. Yep. So a little Um If you if you wanted to, you could say that the uh, antagonist, so to speak, is uh, Thunas Grimnir, um, so a, a rune father, who we sure. see a few times, but. Uh, but mostly it's about Radgob. Yeah, right. Which is what we were saying. We want that gloom spy perspective. That's all we need. Yep. Um, and I think that's going to bring us to the end of our W's unless there's any other what's <laughs> uh, that we want to talk about here and now before we jump into our spoiler coverage. No, I think we got it covered. Uh, we, we we know why we're here, why we're reading it, and uh, we got the, the basis. So yeah, yeah. Let's jump in. Let's, uh, why, why keep them waiting? Let's jump right into the spoilers. All right. So, uh, this is going to be some sort of spoiler phase, spoiler phase, spoiler phase. Um, and we need to write up something for the spoiler phase, uh, in, in the same way as we have, a in the story phase, we delve into, shouldn't we have? Oh, sure. Yeah, that could work. Uh, or I want someone to record like a fun spoiler phase bumper. And then like in the, in the, like have it, like in the lyrics of the thing being like, we're going to, we're going to ruin this book for you. <laughs> remix that one um which uh and one of my favorite movie podcasts the, the slash film cast they they have such a huge following that they're li- one of their listeners remixed some of the things that they said in their show made a little song out of their words and like it's all technically technically cool um so spoiler phase let's start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start paul knows that um we where do we where do we begin i'm trying to think so i th- i think we're outside the mountain um, we're not we're not at the heart of it quite yet, right? Yeah the uh, the gloom spite led by Radgob have encountered a uh, fire slayer patrol slash scout, um, and actually even before we get that far, uh, the book open the the short story opens with a uh, a little a little poem, I guess. So it's a oi tell the loon king you get skulking by that here rotting in the gloom we lie. Uh, author unknown Wilvar Borison translation, which sounds like there's some dwarf scholar out there who's translating goblin stuff. Which wow, all right, dangerous line of work. Um, I I read this and I was like, that's cool. That has like a, a tempo to it that feels like it's it's adapting something. And the only thing I can think of like uh, A. E. Hausman has this really powerful thing like Here Dead We Lie. One found that and it didn't really line up. So I dropped a line to uh, Evan Dickin on on Twitter and said, "Hey, what's what's up with this?" And he, uh, in in kind words, pointed out that I'm not very uh, well read because it's the uh, opening poem uh, from or it, it is is uh, it's from Simon Simonidas Simonidas's Ode to the Spartans. You died at Thermopylae and go tell <laughs> the Spartans, stranger passing by, that here, obedient to their laws, we lie. Uh, so. I thought that was super cool. I, I really like that kind of touch on a story. Um, but anyway, 
So well, and I like well, that our authors are present or are, are, uh, approachable enough that you could flat out ask. You, you wouldn't have known. Like you, you would have done some Googling and you wouldn't necessarily have found it and we wouldn't have known. But uh, Evan uh, was more than gracious enough to clue us in. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it's a cool, cool way to kick it off. Um, but yeah, so they, they, uh, are, are killing off the last of, of, uh, this, uh, fire slayer band. But, uh, as, as he dies, uh, he is saying like, you know, there's, there's going to be tons more of us coming. Um, yeah. And so that, um, it, it, it hits, um, our, our loon boss rat goblin, I guess uh, a myriad of ways, right? In that, like, Grotz are uh, instinctually like scared, scared cats, right? Um, but at the same time, like he's the loon boss, and so he has to have some measure of of bravado, you know, as much as a, a, a Grot can be. And so he needs to make sure that, like, if he's going to hold on to his control here, like he's able to tackle this problem in some way. And so that you know, this sort of goes through his inner monologue and his calculations as to how he's going to uh, handle this new issue because apparently they've been living in Shriek Shriekstone for generations yeah. of. Grotz, which, which I, I don't know how long Grot lives. I don't know. Yeah, true. But he, he comes from a long line of uh, loon boss or high, high creepers uh, in this case. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, you know, now this is now his task to sort of weather and survive and to see if you can maintain control. Yeah, right this whole exchange is really fun too. And uh, what's interesting is that uh, Ratgob uh, can speak Duarden. Um, and this kind of surprises the scout, but he's like, well, obviously I got to be able to tell my slaves like what I need them to do. So, um, that caught me off guard too. Like, wait, what? <laughs> so they, they have a, uh, they have a conversation here and, uh, I really like, you know, the, the, uh, Duarden saying very Duarden things like we're, you know, uh, I think we find out that this lodge is Lachad, 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 uh, Lachad Lodge. And, uh, you know, but he'll he'll say these place names, and Radcob's like, "What? What do you? You know?" He says, uh, <laughs> "Never heard of gold it. of Lakad shall be ours again." Lakad, never heard of it. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, he's like, "What? You you're actually you're living right in it." And he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, we call it something else." Sort of. Um, there's there's a fun uh, cultural differences thing going on here um, that uh, is pretty enjoyable. Uh, it also turns out Radcob's not the only one who can speak Duarden because his. Uh, his shaman who gets carried in later uh, tips his hat after some of the other guys go away um, and lets it be known that he, uh, he heard it, you know? So rack, was like, Ooh, this is kind of freaking me out. I'm just going to kill this guy now. And everyone else is like a little unnerved by all the shouting, but they didn't understand it. And uh, uh, as they're going away, the shaman's like, uh, what are you going to do about all those uh, stunties coming to get us? And he's like, gosh, I've known this guy knew how to speak Dwarden as well. He's like, ah, I'm not worried about it. I'm going to have a plan. He's like, I hope you do. All that stuff about our bones getting stomped into dust is uh, <laughs> kind of important, you know. Like, so. uh, he'd be totally, he'd be totally secure if like he didn't have to worry about anybody else knowing. But like this, it ends up being throughout the story that this shaman is sort of an, is heck. I'm sure all the the gets are antagonistic towards each other, but there's there's a particular particular antagonistic relationship between Arakab and Spookfinger mm-hmm. uh, is the, is the guy's name, and so that's the last thing he needs to, to like have this guy sort of peeking over his shoulder and like undermining with with you know shared knowledge that they have you said he got carried in i i couldn't picture what do you what what was it a palanquin like what what is he being carried in on? Yes, could you tell carried in on a giant a cave squig skull uh which for me i was like huh i didn't know that i would have necessarily guessed that squigs had skulls i thought they were 
I think uh, it's rubbery. A rubbery mushroomy, but um, it could be. Who knows? Hmm. So. I mean, I guess the teeth have to go into something. Like they have yeah. to attach to something. Anyways, um, was he was he being carried by? Got uh, Grotz, or was was that also the sl- like the Dwarven slaves carrying him? I f- I couldn't pick that up either. Uh, I feel like in this scene, I assumed it was Grotz, uh, and I feel like he might have gotten more of a reaction from this uh, prisoner or this uh, yeah. last survivor if there'd been like they might have rebelled or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's a little unclear. Later, it, it mentioned slaves again carrying him around. I was like, oh, like, yeah, maybe these are Dwarven. Uh, we do encounter some of those later, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, it becomes kind of a plot point a little bit later too. Yeah. This, uh, uh this scene transitions in a pretty cool way. Like just a, a fun little piece of writing where, uh, you know, spook, spook fingers like, Hey, it seems pretty important. Um, and rat like, ah, only nutters believe stunty gab. They always lie. <laughs> Pause. Shank me. They must've brought every bearded nutter in here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think that that got me a, an out loud chuckle. I, I yeah. uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. So shank me. I'm gonna, I got I got to rope or weave that into my uh, vernacular. Shank me. Yeah. Um, well, and part of the just part of the transition that's cool too is after he, he ends up killing that one guy, the dwarf that he's talking to. He's like, all right, well, we're gonna butcher him up for dinner. I'm like, oh yeah, they probably eat these. Things people don't they yeah. Ooh, i don't like that yeah. not for me um for, for some reason it's okay when an orc or like an ogre does but when like it's these little with their little knives yeah no thanks um uh, and then speaking of like shake me and their fun little colloquialisms um there's there's a, there's a handful of races that talk in very unique ways in uh the age of sigma or, you know in the mortal realms mm-hmm. uh, skaven being one of them but like throughout this book it really becomes clear the 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 cadence and the 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 verbiage that the, the grots use here are uniquely uh, grots and so um yeah. that's one of the benefits of reading books from their perspective is you you get to sort of be immersed in how they talk and then you find yourself talking like them after you finish reading your story and then your wife gives you wives give you weird looks um <laughs> and why are you why are you talking like that um so uh where do we, where do we where do we go from here jv well i assume they were looking out from the mountain at uh people gathering below but they're actually using something called a scry ball which oh yeah like, oh yeah scry ball that's fine it's like a crystal ball uh it's a little gnarlier than that it's uh i think it's an eye from the mountain so the mountain used to have eyes all over it like the the this living mountain had eyes all around it and uh they've been systematically plucked out by the uh, gloom spite while they were here uh I'm sure in part because of cruelty, but also because like, well, can't have, uh, can't have all the lads spying on anyone. That's, that's only boss's stuff. So, uh, in order to be the only one with one of these things that can, it seems like, uh, kind of scrying glass, see out. I see. I got, I got confused by, he was looking, you using a greasy lens and I was thinking that it was just like a, a, like a telescope type thing but no okay next sentence literally covered in eyes ew um i was having a good day before you told me that and now i don't know that that's true anymore <laughs> but that was for bosses only um so the 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 dwarven sort of array themselves out sort of uh in on full display at the base of the mountain um and it turns out that this is i think earlier the the dwarf says the the force marching on this mountain is the greatest that gur has ever seen in terms of um you know, accumulation of dwarves, and it's not just fire slayers, but it's you know the other other brands of dwarves as well. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I wonder if that probably not explicitly, but like there's there's rumors that they're gonna soup the dwarf books together, and that they're all gonna sort of you know get brought under one banner. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't 
necessarily think that's why he wrote that this way. No. But at the same time, it it very much could be a more common occurrence uh, in the future to see sort of this alliance across um, dwarves. And although it's mentioned that they're sort of allied, um, it turns out like as the book progresses, all we're really dealing with is the fire slayers. Maybe that's just because they're the only ones who are are best suited to fighting in the tunnels of this mountain, as we shall soon see. Soon see. Um, but uh, suffice it to say that um, it leaves the grass a little, a little trembly to actually see the full force of um, Dorn out there. And so much so that Ratgob, uh, uh, for a while there, considers just flat out turning around and leaving. Um, yeah. he, he, sees what, he sees what's up. He says, mm, I'm going to go run to the vault real quick. I guess got to go pick something up. And he, he plans on looting what he can and getting the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. Um, which which tracks for me that makes sense from a, a, a gets perspective um and for a while there i thought that's the direction the story was going like the, the fleeing through the mountain to get away from the uh duarden but it turns out that's not the case davy what what happens then uh well he's working through the hallway and then uh hallways of this of this uh place and you get some cool descriptions you know some of the some of the things of a, a Dwarden Hall that's been taken over by Graz. There's statues. I guess uh, high creepers get to have, if they survive long enough, they get to have a, a statue carved of them. And he sees his statues only only just started. Like his magnificent nose is is uh, getting carved in. And then like uh, uh, yesterday by the Beatles starts playing in the background and he starts <laughs> sad about... Uh, about leaving this place. And you know, there's honestly like some sort of sentimental stuff. He's like, I was runted here. You know, like he, I was born here. I, I, I came up with the mobs. I stabbed a whole bunch of gits in the back. To, like get where I'm at. More, like more than I can count. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and so he's thinking about all this and he's like, man, do I really want to start again? And then it's, it's almost this like <sighs> sigh. Like, eh, I guess I'm not going to go just yet. Uh, yeah. And it was, it's a, it feels like a, a challenging thing to do is right. Like here's, here's a, uh, a grot finding his courage, uh, quote unquote or something. And so credit to, uh, Evan Dickin who, who wrote it in a way that I hundred percent believed it. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, then he, he kind of decides like, yeah, let me see if I can get this thing together. And he is, and meanwhile, as he's getting deeper in, he's, it's clear that like other, other goblins are like totally abandoning ship here they're all scattering so it's like i gotta i gotta put my foot down before we lose too many of these to running off uh and so uh moves us to the next scene where they're um where they kind of got in the council like they're putting the hey we're gonna do this here's our plan sort of thing yeah yeah um and it the it, it, it reminds me of Home Alone, is what it is. At some point, where he, like he, he like he thinks about fleeing, he's going to run from the bad guys, and he he says, "No, this this is my home." Yeah. Uh, Kevin McAllister decides, you know what? He's, he's what's the there's a quote. He says something like, "Right when he decides that he's going to stay and defend the house, I can't remember what it is, um, but that's essentially what he does." Um, and he's like, "All right, well, we're going to put we're going to uh, put together a plan, and we're going to we're going to def- defend what's ours, uh, essentially." Um, and you had mentioned the idea that like he, he crosses a bunch of like scenes or, or sort of environments as he's walking through the tunnels. And it, it, that was one of my favorite parts of the book, whether here or as, as it's talked about later, is how you how one sort of I don't know, desecrates or uh, devolves a dwarven hold into what um, the, you know, the Grotz consider, you know, homey and how they're digging their own tunnels or how they're um, repurposing like the throne room and, you know, all the things that they do with it there. And I think we'll probably talk about how 
he met, he alludes to them here, but then it, they end up being important later, which is fun being like, Oh, I know, I know what's going to happen in this room because you know, he, yeah. he had mentioned what he saw as he walked by, Yeah, which is kind of fun. There's the, the one I want to call out here is the pit, mm-hmm. uh, which he, he says it's where like the Duarden, when they had too much ale used to empty their guts. So I assume it's like an open latrine. Yeah, kind of Did you get, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and that's just where the, the trogs are living. <laughs> They're just mm-hmm. down in there, like, oof, gnarly. Just snoozing, um, which, which is pretty cool. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think of the first, what's the first Home Alone thing that they do is, um, it's not again, it's not in the mountain, right? I think they yeah. set up, they set up a diversion out in the dwarven camp. And so they, he sends a whole bunch of like um, squig riders on one end of the camp to cause havoc as they do. Uh, and, you know, the, the shout cries goes through up the dwarf camp to say, Hey, no, and they all, you know, converge on what the problem is. And in doing so it leaves an opening for, uh, you know, a crack team of infiltrator grots uh, with Rockab in leading them, which is surprising. I would have thought he would have had someone else do it, but I suppose if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. And they sneak into where uh, the ale is being held for the Dwarden, because obviously that's a very important um, uh, resource uh, for this attacking force. And so they, um, you know, this, uh, taint it, uh, poison it in some way. Um, and then they run away giggling. Yeah. And it shows like a, a knowledge of their enemy, you know, because there's they're someone like, hey, there's no food here. We're supposed to be ruining supplies. And he's like, hey, listen, like, They'll fight without water. They'll fight without food. They won't fight without is their ale. And so they go to poison it, um, which is which is pretty rad. And this whole thing has some, like, uh, fun things. There's, there's uh, I can't remember what he calls them. Um, he's, he's got the guys he's sneaking in with. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, uh, what are they? Uh, Ratgob and his sneaks. Uh, <laughs> he's his mask, blades blackened with soot. Like, that would be a fun unit to, to introduce, you know, like. Yeah. Some kind of sneaky backfield ninja grots would be pretty cool. So sure, um, they've trained in the, in the the temples of Clan Eshin, right? They're all they're, they're yeah. ninja stuff on that, and uh, and then like his strategy back at the beginning, where you know because their their gates are getting pounded on. They he's he's set up his uh, wield some of his rock lobs and artillery out, and they haven't had much of effect. But he's like forcing some guys to maintain a presence just to like keep up appearances at the at the front. Uh, other than the the main attack, which is Squig Hoppers, but then and then the next line is like, and he had all his best archers. Like, oh wow, just getting up. It's like they were further down the tunnel to make sure to shoot any of the guys who ran away. I was like, yeah, that, that, all right, yeah, yeah. Tracks, that sounds grotty. And also part of his plan, he had mentioned the idea that like he he, he well, and I guess this leads into the next section is that um, now that he's poisoned the the. Uh, the Dwarden, um, like he has further steps, further steps in his, you know, traps and plans and things like that. And he kind of wants to kick those off and just like have them, you know, have them stumble into his, his plans. And in doing so, if he would, he, he would just leave the doors wide open and just let him walk right in and fall into whatever he, you know, he has set up for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be too, that would be too obvious. And those stunties are smart enough to see. So he has to pretend to put up like this fight, um, to make it seem like he's resisting them, but all in the long run, he's, he's really welcoming, welcoming them in. Yeah. He's not going to beat him you know hand to hand he's going to have to beat him sneakily mm-hmm. in the in the mountain tunnels um so then i think the next scene uh they are uh coming the the dwarden are coming in through the the main door and uh we had a little bit of this where the um where the mountain like if you cut into it it'll shriek or scream um it's part of why it's called shriek stone it's the name yeah uh and as the rune father uh comes in through the front door there's like an almost 
almost hopeful warble that comes from the mountain. And like, oh, ooh, that, that makes me feel even worse about everything I've heard about the mountain so far. So like uh, with the idea of the mountain being sentient, it's like, oh, hey, like some, some benevolent uh, dwellers may finally be returning after this awful torture of having grots crawling around inside me. Davey, I have a question for you real quick. What do you think a, a hopeful warble sounds like? Oh, that's so hopeful. I'm a little, not, I'm a little hopeful. I was glass half empty. I'm glass half full now. Um, yeah. Right. And so all throughout the story, I just sort of talk about how the, like it, it interspersed sort of the mountains audible or, you know, physical like uh, reactions to what's going on. Um, and I guess just to remind you throughout that, you know, you're fighting in the innards of like this living thing, um, which, like you said, uh, adds a certain level of you know, weight to, you know, the outcome of what, what happens here. Yeah. And then sympathy as well. And yeah, this, this, uh, even the, the rune father, father has a line here, by Grimnir, what have the, those monsters done to you? Which you can think of, uh, Dwarden saying to something inanimate, you know, like a, a blade or piece of armor or something like that, that they're particularly fond of, but uh, with that answering reply, you're like, oh man, like there is, there's kind of like a uh, symbiotic or cooperative relationship between the mountain and the and the dwarden, and that was that was just, it's uh, it's some of the some of the best AOS fiction can do that sort of thing, like that cool idea with just a, a few lines, and I feel like he's done it here with some of this. Yeah, well, and, and it connects two things that you knew sort of independently and puts it in a new light, in that like. Dwarves and mountains go together, right, hand in hand, and we kind of know just throughout history, other formats, other settings, what that what that looks like. You know, dwarves under the mountain kind of thing. But what if dwarves were under a living mountain? Yeah. And that's uniquely AOS. I mean, it's not only uniquely AOS; it's uniquely Gur AOS. Like, because there are other mountains in other places where this isn't true sure. in the moral realms, but it is uniquely true here. Um, in the same way that you know, what does a dwarf look like when he lives in Gyran? Well, it's those root kings, right? Well, what's a dwarf look like when he lives in Gur? Mm. Best mountain best friends, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, all right, what happens now? So the, the, the like we said, the the fire slayers make it in. Um, and I think the first trap is, is this, is this the throne room? It must be the squigs. So they've got a bunch of like moss and gravel tossed over some rickety planks. Yeah. In order Classic. to conceal it. And it's a big pit trap, but not just a big pit trap, but a pit trap filled with squigs. Uh, How do you improve a pit trap? <laughs> Fill it with squigs. So the, uh, the magma dross who are at the front go uh, kind of tumbling into this. And uh, even some of the first few ranks of, of slayers, because uh, they're in this headlong, furious charge, they're kind of getting by. They're, they're burning through some of this poison just by, uh, like, pure uh, angriness, by fury. Um, but uh, the squigs really chomp up uh, the magma dross in a big way and then get a bunch of, a bunch of slayers. Um, there's... Uh, I think there's like a berserker that that goes down. They're, they they call out some of the different unit types you'll see in in fire slayer fire slayer armies. The hearth guard come and try and um, melt them all down. But the other part of this pit trap is that there's scaffolding uh, put in for the squigs to climb up. Uh, now that the the top is knocked away, um, so kind of kind of disastrous from the uh, fire slayer uh, perspective. However, uh, there's lots of them. 
Yeah. Say it's it, this is one of it's like a story trope where there's just as many fire slayers as there needs to be to like die, but then also have enough to like trigger the next thing. So like yes, it seems like this is gonna this is a showstopper, um, and yet the next scene is just yet another uh, uh, wave of the fire slayers pushing through. Yeah, um, it's fun to see squigs. Or not, I mean fun i don't know what's fun um squigs tear through like sort of infantry 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 lines and like you know what they do to just like you know, people like your, your your regular humanoid kind of things but it, it i don't know that i see squigs go toe-to-toe with like big beasts all that much and what's a squig do when it's facing down not facing down because it's a whirling mess of teeth and claws um something much larger than itself it's mm. it very much has like a i don't know kind of like a piranha feel a little bit as they, bi- bipedal piranhas yeah 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 uh what how do you it's the it's the age-old question uh how do you eat a magma droth one bite at a time yeah um so uh there's lots of bites uh occurring down here in these uh in these pits um so there we do eliminated a chunk of the fire slayers um moving on next uh next home alone trap so actually it's yeah, as I say, soon thereafter, uh, what does he? How does he trigger the, the centipedes? I forget. Like, what does he do? They the, all start hooting and hollering. Like, they uh, shaman. Uh, the shaman triggers a signal, um, lets out a, a whoop fit to wake the dead. Conjured a bolt of jagged greenish lightning that blasted one of the fire slayers from its nasty feet, beard burning. The signal is taken up by other gits, and soon the cavern echoed with mad whoops. So all that whooping kind of uh, spooks a bunch of segmapedes out with uh, with all their their crazy noise, like that. Uh, they, in these segmapedes we've actually seen in passing before, it sounds like they're just giant centipedes. Um, just giant centipedes. Yeah. Is that not enough for you? That's enough. Uh, and so they come barreling out of the, of the side caves and start, uh, doing a bunch of damage. And, uh, but then of course the, the slayers have managed to, uh, kind of head that off, take care of that as well. Rat guy gets a, a cool line or like just a little, you know, again, that sort of inner like, ah, show off. His delight soured as as the hmm. uh, rune father starts you know, chopping stuff up. So how dare he? How dare he? Yeah, and he but he has you know when when he back when he convinced everyone he didn't really have a plan. He came up with one after the fact, and uh, he's he's sticking to it now because they're like, hey, should we should we attack now? And he's like, no, we got more surprises. They can have the hall. We're gonna we're gonna fall back. Yeah, they they uh drop back uh to set up the next trap i can't wait um so the next one is so they lure uh the dwarven and they're not it's a it's a smaller space now i think the last scene was in a big much bigger like wide open like hall or something like that but now it gets a little bit more narrow and as they um are uh, funneled in uh who does he let loose this time and we didn't i don't know that we got I don't know if they mentioned this as part of his tour of the the mountain before, but uh, any good loon boss worth his salt is going to have a a whole mess of uh, fanatics uh, under his control. Or not, I mean, literally the opposite of under his control, not under his control. Um, But what they do is they, you know, slap him on in. And so uh, the uh, Dwarden are caught by surprise. I would be surprised too by the whirling dervish that is these fanatics with their balls and chains. Wrecking house, and this scene was cool at least for me because um, it's one thing to just talk about oh the balls are you know smacking into people oh no you got knocked down just the graphic nature of how he described what it would look like and the different ways that getting tangled up in one of these balls and chains would like flat out kill you um, which I hadn't really gotten before and this was new to me yeah the the very first one to go down like the it's got that first fire slayer into the tunnel like he holds up a fist like 
hold on, I think there's something here. And then he sees him and he has time to like take a breath to yell. And then he's just like gone. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the chain. It, it was a, it was a fairly graphic uh, set of scenes here, but uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. There's also mm-hmm. another trap that they're working on, but it seems to not be working. Um, the, the Dwarden are almost at the, the vents. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, his chief poisoner who we, we had met earlier is saying, yeah, no, there's something blocking the vents. Like my, you know, my, my thing he's he's got this he's worked up this loon mist um which will make people have delusions but he it's it sounds like it's supposed to go in through the vents but he can't get it to discharge basically so uh all the all the loons go uh zipping about with their their chains um and like holy cow they're still coming and then like they they can't get it to go uh his poisoner's like, heck with this i'm getting out of here uh rat gob is like trying to make instead of just getting out of here he's like uh he reaches up in there he's trying to figure out he's trying to like unclog the drain uh and he he uses his uh what is it his uh moon slicer yeah like the, his like, sickle sword thing yeah. yeah there's something big and soft in the way and i thought it was gonna be like some big fungal growth or something like that it's a big old mass of dead snotlings have <laughs> <laughs> gone and clogged things up uh and he has some, he's like, I don't know, were they just like goofing off doing snotling things or did somebody tell him to go up in there to kind of mess us up? But uh, w- with a wet slurp, the mass blocking the pipe finally gave way, deluging rat gob and the stunty with hundreds of dead snotlings. So, <laughs> pretty gross. Uh, yeah. But as as they come loose, then all the uh, the, the loon mist, this super powerful um, psycho- psychotropic uh, poison comes pouring in and uh, it, uh, it makes all the... Fire Slayers start freaking out and they, they get paranoid and they end up starting fight, infighting. They're fighting each other. Yeah. Um, I don't know the rules well enough for the gits to know if this is a real thing or not. Like a lot of this, not everything. I guess the centipedes aren't in the game per se, but a lot of this other stuff is obviously, you know, represented in models and stuff. I wonder if this mist has a role or, you know, some effect in the, in the game. Hey, listeners, you probably know. Let me know. Tell me uh, if this is in the game. But it's... Uh, very cool, and it's yet another you know tool in their arsenal to sort of highlight the fact that gits aren't necessarily strong. They're not you know the most savvy with the weapon, but they have tools at their disposal still, uh, and they use them to great effect. Well, yeah. So this is this is you know causing pretty horrible things in the in the slayers' lines, but then uh, with some rune magic, the uh, the fire slayers are able to kind of burn that cloud away. Um, so they they work their way through this one again. It's it's. Uh, fall back again for the for the uh, gloom spite it's a big mountain plenty yeah. plenty of place to fall back into yeah our next scene they're they're kind of waiting he's got like i got one more trap it's a big one uh but uh, it's it's got to go to give us a chance and they collected up uh fire slayer slaves uh who sound pretty pretty rough like they've had their runes pried out of them they've been shaved all that sort of thing and so they're they're having them kind of uh tied together uh calling out for help is is the idea um and, and like led down into a pit like at the last minute right and he's like you can't do it too soon like you gotta wait just the just the, right just at the right time and they are led into a pit some might call a latrine perhaps i don't know maybe we would call it a latrine and uh they're they're plopped into um that uh, space that we were talking about before where the trogs are living and so like right when the the living you know 
the invading Dwarden uh, reach, you know, the, the reach the point where they can hear what's going on. They can hear their kinsmen um, getting chomped on by the the trogs down below. And like any good Dwarden, they come rushing in to sort of you know save what they can. Not necessarily knowing they're driven, you know, they're driven by concern essentially. And then they come rushing. Some might say to their doom um, because uh, the trogs have something to say about this. Yeah, you can see there's even a even a pause here where the ruined father's like you you know doesn't explicitly say this but like he's struggling with this you know and you you figure he must know this is a trap but he's like I, even if it's a trap we got to do our do our do our duty here leave no dwarden behind uh and then they go and so there's a big old trogoth battle uh including that gets the rune smiter who's been uh bopping around here helping out mm-hmm. with magic they just mushes him flat <laughs> with one of one of these trogoths yeah big old handed and then uh it's it's the typical problem with uh all trogoths is once they've kind of done their initial uh damage and they kind of forget what's going on and they wander off in different directions some of them even turn on the grots too and then they just sort of like oh, there's something i can go eat so they just turn in their direction and chase them down and so because of this uh, it, it's now high time that the the grots actually full on like flee like the, he's run out of he's run out of sly traps and tricks. Um, it's it's high time for him to turn tail and, and he did what he could, but that's basically the end of it. Um, however, it's not the end of our story because he still has he still has enemies. There's enemies on his tail, but there's enemies at his side as well. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, the shaman makes a play. Uh, to essentially kill him and you know take whatever control he can uh, in the long run. Though control of what I don't know. Like there's not much else to like save here. Um, but he and the master poisoner, who's been sort of following throughout the story as well, between the two of them, um, they uh, try to take Rack up, try to try to take him down. It's a there's a fun exchange where he's like, and he, earlier he he'd been like, ah, man, Spookfinger is going to betray me. I hope he's just more creative than a knife in the back. Uh, and that ends up being exactly what he tries, and he's like. A knife in the back? Come on, man. Like, <laughs> you can do better than that. Do better than that. Yeah. Finger's like, well, it is poisoned. And uh, the rat cop's like, hey. And like, look at his poisoner like, what What the hell? And that guy's just like kind of yeah, shrug, you know, yeah. like, well, you know. When it's about to happen. Got to do what I got to do. But uh, he managed to, to uh, uh, down uh, down the shaman, get rid of Spookfinger. Fing- spook uh, then he decides to keep the poisoner alive. Um so yeah because i mean because he understands he knows what's up he's like uh uh he's like he, he was bound to betray me anyways like anyone in this position would so like it's i'm not even mad about it because that's just par, that's just par for the course um and i don't know if he says it outright but it's just some one of those like it's better the the betrayer i know than like introducing some other character who's also going to try and like betray me at least i know this guy's deal yeah. um so you had betrayed him true but a little double cross now and again was only natural besides <laughs> i still need the poisoner all right. Yeah, exactly. And so you've 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 put him in his place temporarily. So like that's no big like you're good for now. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's got bigger fish to fry currently. It's around this time after the fight that like the room father finally does catch up with him. Um, and uh, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of a little bit of a one v one duel. Like I mean, it's not presented as such, but like that's a lot of what um, what happens. I mean, the room father yells a bunch of dwarven stuff at him, and the the grot is just snickery and you know trying to fight for his life essentially um yeah another another great exchange which honestly i think has been one of uh the strongest parts of this but uh thunas grimnir is is kind of thundering he's uh by grungnies and eternal eyes did you think you could outwit me and rack i was like "Mm, i did it four times already i figured one more wouldn't hurt you know (laughs) 
That's pretty good. And although I say duel, like it's a duel for a, a grunt, which is every once in a while he throws his like his like lieutenants at him as well, and like he's got one who one grunt who's all about like choking stuff, and so he's got long fingers and he throws him at him, he tries to choke him, and uh, some other pair are trying to yeah, yeah snare him up. Yeah, exactly. So it's not it's not a, not a duel in a classic sense that you and I would duel, and we have and we will again. Um, it's a it's a grot type duel, but um, eventually all his tricks are exhausted, all his underlings are defeated, um, and it seems. I mean, and, and between the rune father and the grot, they're all beaten and bloodied. Uh, Rat goblin has a leg chopped off at some point. Like it, it's he's exhausted and he's clearly gonna lose. Yeah. Uh, but then what happens then? Well, he's uh, he's. He's, you know, the rune father is standing over him, getting ready. You know, at last her oath is fulfilled. Loomboss lay back, waiting for that death blow. And, and you know, this is quite quite a last stand from goblins. It was, was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then he he thinks he's hearing like a voice emerge from everything. And then there's a yellow green light bleeding into the cave, seeming to congeal in the very air. Um, he... Uh, from the deep tunnels there come a low threatening rumble and this has been kind of foreshadowed throughout like he hears a rumble he's like i don't have time to think about that um this mountain used to be all full of lava uh and a crackling roar and he in that roar he can hear the slap of feet on stone many feet shrieks and cackles echoed in the gloom and then uh the duarden are like what's going on you know they're they're confused uh and he says the bad moon will avenge me which actually bookends at the very start. The first thing we hear that uh, the the um, first captive say is Grungni will avenge me. Oh, I didn't put that together. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and the mountain begins to scream once more. So it, it's a little, like, it's left a little ambiguous. You know, what exactly is happening? Is it is it that there's a big flood of uh, gits coming in from somewhere? Is it that lava is boiling up and it's just sort of uh, his you know, his dying delusions are, are making it, you're thinking of it in a particular way. You know, it talks about, he, he hears, uh, he thinks four words are being formed. Um, I tried to figure out what those were and I couldn't, I couldn't quite sort it out and also asked Evan Dickin this. And he says, it's meant to sort of echo the, the words at the, uh, front, I, which I, I said, Grimnir. I should say Grimnir will avenge me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm too much of a, a KO player to remember that Grim, Grimnir is the one to go. I didn't, I didn't even catch it. Uh, Grimnir will avenge me. So that that also bookends here. So I don't know what what did you think had happened here. I, I couldn't decide if it was uh, uh, if it was a, a flood of gloom spike gets coming or the the lava has been stirred up. Um, no, I thought it was the, I thought it was the flood. So um, the the bad moonlight shining in through like the yellow. So we always talk about the sickly yellow green light. Like yeah. I think it's bleeding from the the bad moon deep into the to the cave here through you know reflected through all, any number of tunnels and so on and so forth. And so when it talks about shrieks and cackles echoing from the gloom, mad chants, um, and then this, the slap of feet on stone, that sounds to me like a, a, a get horde coming up from down below. Very um very Lord of the Rings, right? Minds of Moria kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you hear him hooting and hollering, echoing from the tunnel and, and rising up. So that was the vibe that I got. Um, could I, I mean it could be loud because they're always because they were talking a lot about what you know just the mountain and it always felt like the mountain somehow itself was going to yeah, pay off. Some rumble coming from below. Yeah. So and so I understand why you thought that. It's just that it doesn't necessarily jive with the footfalls, which is what we were, we were hearing. Um, I would like to have had both, right? Like I wanted the mar- mountain to kind of have its due, um, and I don't know that it. I mean, this is more more of a conversation after the plot, but like I don't know that the mountain never really got 
its say on the matter, um, which I thought it was going to. I guess I couldn't quite decide if the footfalls were actually there or if he was hearing them like in the in the sound of other things, you know. Oh, yeah. And maybe they maybe he did hear them and they were just fleeing or it was he was hallucinating because he's almost dead and it's all part of the din of what's going on. And right. Like, I'm not sure. Like, well, and, you know, I, I like that it's a little bit ambiguous. Like, I thought that was really... I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, so so it, a crackling roar that seemed to fill the entire cavern. In it, Rat God burped the slap of feet on stone. So I couldn't tell if that was, like, if, if he didn't have the in it there. Yeah. Know, mm-hmm. I, it would be more clear. But anyway, I think there's a couple ways. All of the above. And that's, <laughs> that's cool. It is fun. A voice emerged from the mad babble. Four words formed from the giggles and shrieks of a thousand thousand grots. What? So what did he say when you asked him? I didn't see that. He said it was supposed to reflect what? Uh, it was supposed to reflect the four words spoken by the captive at the start. So he says, um, four words Rackab says at the end are hopefully meant to echo the first scene where he kills the Dwarden Scout. Uh, and I went back to that and the Dwarden Scout says, Grimnir will avenge me. Grimnir uh, will avenge me. That's four words. Yeah. But this is the bad moon. Like unless he's counting that as one word. Well, the bad moon. Right. And so oh, that, that me. like I was kind of back and forth with that. Like maybe it's that he's remembering that and he says that. I, I don't know. Like uh, there was. Evan, you're too cryptic. Man, I need to spell it out. I'm a simple man. You need to spell it out for me. No, I thought it was great. <laughs> no, I kid. Um, it's worth mentioning. I don't know how to even tie this in. He, It's not the bad moon that like, or the, the arrival of the bad moon that defeats the room father. Actually, the grot kills the uh, room father. Like he's, he's like poisons him right and like he starts to the room father starts to foam at the mountain he falls dead yeah. um chalk a, a win um for our loon bosses here you know it's it's one of those tropes you would often see with a, a heroic figure fighting a monster like oh like through something right in the roaring mouth and this is kind of turned on its head where you know he's he's about to be finished off by the rune father managed to jam poison in the the rune father's mouth so that is a great point that's awesome yeah what a great parallel i hadn't even thought about um that the beauty of reading books from the perspective of what is traditionally a bad guy um that you can sort of draw what does that look like on it when the coins flipped on the other side that's awesome um any other plot stuff you want to talk about I think that about covered it. Um, okay. What about you? Uh, no, that's that's sufficient plot, though it is a wild ending, and uh, yeah. for what it ended up being a rel- relatively straightforward story, it, it's nice to get a little potentially abstract towards the end, which is cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's hop into some standard standard questions. My favorite: uh, Who was your person? You need a better word for person, though. It's got to be fun. It's got to be snappy. Who was your char? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, stooge. Nope, that means something else. Who is your goober? I don't know. It's gone. Um, Davey, I can't wait. This is my favorite part. Tell me who your who your favorite character was. Gone if it was even there. I don't know. That was a, a little <laughs> mess there. I'll uh, chop that up. I was uh, I was struggling a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the characters. Uh, I really enjoyed the poisoner. There's a scene early on where like he's like, "Hey, I came up with something." something cool and new and drops his uh drops his bag to like pull something out of it and you just hear shattering glass <laughs> and i was like I, I just love the like they kind of get by on like carelessness and luck you know uh mm-hmm. it's pretty fun uh but uh i decided to go with uh someone i could identify with and that was the uh the tragus that get up do some stuff and be like man <laughs> i am tired i'm going back to sleep so <laughs> Uh, I, deep I cuts. felt that way for sure. So, yeah. uh, the Tragus that, uh, went brawled a little bit and said, you know what, what's best is a little more bedtime. 
Yeah, that's enough for me. Um, good answer. Uh, Twofold answer. Uh, while reading the book, the, the character that I thought might have had the most potential mm. was Shriekstone itself, itself was the mountain. And I thought there was going to be some payoff there. And I wanted to see like, see how it was like the victim or like that it had more power than we under, or more power here. It had more agency than we realized. But it turns out that never happened. So I have to scrap that answer. It, it could have been the right answer, but it's not. Um, and instead, I think I'll probably do the, um, the, the strangler <laughs> uh, throttle. Um, his name's th- obviously his name's throttle. He's a, some sort of strangle grunt because he's, he knows what he, he's good at and he does yeah. it well. And he, he, he made a job out of it, right? Like yeah. he, he found, he identified what skills he had and uh, he found a way to make himself useful to an organization. And I can respect that. And yeah. what I imagine is very chaotic. He, he made himself indispensable. So uh, good job throttle so the poisoner in terms of who, who had care who had character traits the poisoner was probably the most fun i think in, in the story but sure. uh can't go can't go can't go with the obvious answer um next did you learn anything about the moral realms that you didn't know before uh for me i think it was the idea of uh like we always hear about the sentient mountains but i don't think i've heard the idea of that symbiotic relationship so like the idea that uh fire slayers from gur you know, would would uh, treat the mountain as like a sentient companion or um, or or some such, um, and I thought that was that there's a cool thing that kind of opened up. Uh, I don't know, like we we talk about this a lot. Like it's fun to think about what a faction looks like in different realms, mm-hmm. and so that was that was the piece that I um, felt like was a, a broader understanding. Uh, there was plenty I enjoyed got got some more depth on gloom spite but uh, if i was to say something i knew about the mortal realms now that i didn't know before maybe it'd be that yeah that, about you? that's a that's a good good answer and i i echo that response but then furthermore i didn't know the pocket squigs were a thing uh, um yeah, they it, are yeah and at one point like it's i mean this is a this is like a pocket sand equivalent or i don't know someone's got a pocket full of tiny squigs and they throw it at some guy and that's all you need to know there's not much else to add beyond that but they exist because of course they exist. Yeah. Question is, do they stay small or are they just baby squigs? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Is, is it its own breed? I don't. I, there's so much more to learn. I need a sequel. Um, pocket squigs. Nobody expects pocket squigs. Um, all right. Uh, we can jump on to any recommendations for other gloom spite stories. Um, we mentioned one, which is the titular gloom spite novel by Andy Clark. Mm-hmm which I recommend you read only so that you get exposure to Gloom Spite, but you're not necessarily going to get the perspective. It's still a really good story. You guys can't see my hands. I'm really talking I a lot here. Was excellent. But yeah, it is not from Gloom Spite perspective, uh, but it, it was uh, it was one of my favorite uh, books we've read for one of my favorite novels that we read for this. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to hear a very contentious story phase, you can uh, listen to our listen back to the episode where we talk it out. You know how we talk, we, we mentioned that it's contentious a lot. I don't remember in the middle of it it feeling contentious, but the fact that we keep referencing that it is it must mean that it was, and I'm just oblivious to I think, uh, Paul's feelings. Paul, Paul and I came down on very different sides of whether it was good mm. or not. Um, so I got you. Well, and I'm sure good. you guys were looking, looking for different things. Constructive debate. I think we. I think it was yeah. uh, good. And you don't. You don't always want everyone to agree on everything. Well, of course not. Yeah, great characters in that one, and I think that was why we're at show. Um, but there are other gloom spite stories. Are there any others that you would recommend before I just name the ones that are written down right here? Uh, well, I did read Bosgrot by Eric Gregory um, prior to this. Uh, if you if you want a different take on Grot leadership, uh, then Boss Grot by Eric Gregory is a good read. Um, okay, it kind of takes a different route, uh, but it's very complimentary to this. Like it's it's a cool uh, 
uh, almost a, not a companion in the sense that it's the same characters or anything like that, but, uh, um, a loon boss, um, going through, going through some stuff and then, uh, like rat gob goes through some stuff. <laughs> true, true. And then I think you wrote this one. Do you want to talk about this one too? Also one that we reviewed, uh, was uh, path to glory. Uh, nothing to do with gloom spite at all, but, uh, I like that one quite a bit, uh, different angles. And I, um, I like how Evan Dickin writes his, uh, Writes his character interactions. I think that's that that felt like the strong point here for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's hop into a review uh, with what little time we have left, as if there were a time limit. Um, what did you think of Shriekstone, a Gloom Spike gets short story? Uh, really enjoyable. I'm really glad we read it. It's one of the short story. I don't know. I mean, I, in general, you're going to get positive reviews from us. I think on this because uh, we, uh, me especially, but I think you as well, uh, enjoy these short stories quite a bit i think it's uh we've said many many times but it's where uh some of the age of sigmar fiction can really shine um i thought it was great there were like i said i got some laugh out louds uh i for for the subject matter and for all that i i found it uh very engaging um and very enjoyable uh for you know this is this is a a game world that i'm interested in but they're not factions that i have necessarily played um and uh so to still be engaged despite that um was pretty awesome uh i thought it was i thought it was great i thought it was really efficient and uh, i'll give it four and a half out of five cunning plots to defeat invading fire slayers okay all right my end i did like the short story there's very few short stories i don't like um i liked i liked the traps i liked the home alone aspect of the story it was a good it was a good tale it was it was and it was told well it, there wasn't a lot of extraneous stuff it was kind concise it was clear but at the same time it was surprising to sort of see the things that were that could have been telegraphed, surprising to sort of see them implemented or, or in action. And so in doing so, I really enjoyed what happened. I enjoyed the, the plot. Um, the characters were great in that goblins can be great or grots can be great. And so that's in and of itself is, you know, makes for interesting, fun sort of interactions in, in, in between them. My, if I had a complaint or a concern or, you know, some detraction from the story is that sometimes the grottiness of grots is the only thing that you get out of them. And they all sort of tend towards similarity. Like they, sure, maybe one has long fingers and he strangles people or one's really into poisons, but they all sort of function in the same way. And that's not Evan Dickin, it's not his fault. Like that's what, that's what Grotz do. That's what Grotz stories are. But it maybe a problem I have with Grotz stories just universally is that like they all sort of blend together. They all sort of, they feel sometimes universal in their grottiness and it doesn't allow for anyone to really stand out one way or the other i mean rat gab does because i'm in his brain and i just know what he's thinking but i'm sure every single one of those dudes was also thinking very similar thoughts throughout it's just that he was put in a position of power so i'll say uh yes but uh his turn towards some amount of bravery or some like defend my home sort of thing was kind of a a, a standout for me as far as uh a, a characteristic we rarely see from these characters who we usually see as as uh no, not quite nameless, faceless, but almost that um, villain. That's that's actually a very good point. And I remember thinking that I was maybe a little more more down on the story, and that it was you know just sort of more of the same when it comes to Grotz after having read it. But then, classically, whenever we talk about it, I feel 
that I enjoy it more and more talking about it makes me like the story more. And the, the points like that that you just brought up, I think do enhance my uh, enjoyment of the, of the characters that I'm reading. And I think last time we did one of these short stories, I, I talked at length about how much, how important the characters ought to be. And so if you can sort of suss out the nuance of even what ends up being universe, uh, sort of standard bog standard um, grots, get what nuance you can. And I think that it enhances the story. And I think this did a, a pretty good job at doing so. Uh, and if it didn't do a great job, it's not his fault. It's, it's Grot's fault in, in my mind. Um, mm. So I still recommend it, though. I still enjoyed it. And it's, it's very instructive in terms of what Gloom Spike Gets do. Like, if, if you hadn't read a Gloom Spike Gets story, don't read, Gloom, don't read Gloom Spike. I mean, do. But maybe read this first if you wanted to get a, uh, an instructional video on what, what it means to be a, a Git and what's, how their society works. So useful in that regard, too. Yep. Um, so in that case, if I have to give it a number, I'm going to give it just a four. I don't know what a five would be, but we're going to do a four. Four long, strangly fingers out of five um, from Throttle, the the strangle grad. All right. Um, he got there. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts? Uh, no, just uh, enjoyed picking this one and uh, looking forward to the next one. And uh, also, again, a special thanks to Evan Dickin for uh, getting back to me so fast. I, in our, in our as usual, exhaustive way of uh, researching these books, I sent him something like at 11 p.m. last night. I was like, ah, long shot. We'll see if he, you know, I had these couple of questions about it. And uh, this morning woke up to have some answers. It was super cool. So he knew deep down, he knew. Um, and then I guess I'll also finally say, Hey listeners, if you read this story and, uh, you had thoughts on it, let us know what you think. Give us, give us some feedback. Nobody ever, got, nobody ever gives us any feedback. I want to know. And this is a collective here. We're all part of one great big moral realms book club. Uh, except we get the microphones. And with that, it's time for our reforging. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at the modal realms. Davey, where can they find you online? I'm at red underscore Zeke, or if you want to talk uh, Underworlds, at WTHCast. Awesome. I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at DosAsos, and you obviously know that you can find me on the story phase as well. Come on, guys. Um, you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Nope, again, it's a lot more. It's not for music.